knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed, few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the lines from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu was trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that, one way or another. Hello, welcome to the Prognosis Podcast. This podcast is about the transpersonal, the transcendental, and the mystical. We'll be talking about who we are, where we are, and how to move forwards in this world, where the veil seems to be ever thinner, and reality hasn't quite turned out to be what we were told. Thanks for following along. It'll be a good jumping, uh, like jumping off point. Yeah, um, but yeah, so they have the space plane, which is this artificially intelligence-driven supersonic space shuttle version essentially now that's constantly flying in like seven or eight months um uh what's it called uh oh fucking hell you've started recording i've started forgetting my words yeah sorties all around nobody knows what they're doing um nobody knows the technology that's involved in it all people know is that nasa said we have this thing and we're flying it and you know that's it the same kind of thing happened with the the black triangles i think they were called it was like the aurora project or something like that and people were seeing these all over the phoenix lights would be the the, the most famous example of it i mean the, the the weird thing about the phoenix lights is that guy who was the governor who came out with um one of his aides dressed as a an alien um and he was kind of like really really ridiculed about that at the time because it he was taking the piss out of the whole thing and people genuinely wanted to know what was what was happening and what was in the sky now that guy's not in the government anymore and he's been out and about talking about how yeah he regrets it he, he completely regrets doing it that it was that he saw the, the the phoenix lights himself and didn't know what they were and essentially went like to the to the pentagon and to the intelligence services to find out and was basically told you you don't have the clearance well, the only I think I believe the only civilian pilot to report it to the the FAA, yeah, honestly, was oh now I forgot his name. Is it Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell was the only really civilian pilot at the time to witness the Phoenix lights and report it to the FAA. That's our old man Snake Bliskin. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, <laughs> he's you know, if anyone's gonna fight that shit. It's probably going to be Kurt Russell. He was know. waiting for him. Yeah, That's exactly. why he left. 100% man. He That's was he was, <laughs> he was firing up his Stargate waiting to get out and fight the Gwald. That's what it's not many people know this but Stargate is a sequel to Escape from LA. <laughs> or a prequel. I don't know. That'd be the, it'd be the proper sequel. Ignore Escape from New York because that wasn't that great. A bit of a shit movie that one. Escape from LA was a good one. That's yeah. the one with the EMP, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Times change. But could, stay the same. I could 100% like. We could. We were saying the other day about maybe doing a um something about 
truth in media and symbolism in media and stuff like that. John Carpenter, man, like he, he knew the, the thing, right? Yeah, infiltrators, alien infiltrators mm-hmm. within within people you may know. Well, not just that. Also, the idea that they um, that they're in the Anta, you know, buried in the Antarctic for forty thousand years. Like, there's there's a place in the Antarctic called Lake Vostok. Um, oh, the Russians! Yeah, 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 the Russians. I mean, that's that's one of the uh, that's a really, really weird fucking case where they were openly talking about it and saying, "Yeah, we've we found this massive lake underneath the ice, and uh, we've got this team, and we're going to send them down there, and yeah, we'll find out what happened, what's down there. It's great. We're expecting to find like all of these prehistoric animals, and because it's essentially in, been in uh, an entirely closed lofty ecosphere for thousands and thousands. In, well, whenever the the you know the ice sheets uh, came over the continent, um, and then they did it." And then no one heard anything. And then, like, I think it was Project Veritas, um, not the James O'Keefe Project Veritas, but the Mel Fabregas uh, podcast, started chasing up with all of these people who'd been saying, yeah, we're, we're going down to Lake Vostok and finding. And it eventually got reached, like, the Russian government. And the Russian government were like, no, nobody went down. Nobody has been down to Lake Vostok. And it's like, but you said they were going. Like your own, like the Russian Academy of Science were like, yeah, we're going to. Like, no, no, nobody has been down there. It's like, right, okay. <laughs> they found fucking something. Like, no matter what it is. I mean, I can, I could give you the, 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 the rumors. You know, supposedly they found uh, alien bases or gigantic cephalopods, and like they fought with like Cthulhu and shit. <laughs> I hope they um, bring like, head and shoulders with them. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> That's a great movie. <laughs> it is actually, yeah. It is very good. And uh, they live as well. There's a movie I watched recently, and it's very similar to this. The idea is... It's, it's, a, it's a sinkhole, I believe, in Russia, and the mm. idea is it's... Is it Soviet Union? Yeah, it's based in the Soviet Union, and basically these this scientist he's taken to a lab hidden in Siberia, where he goes deep underground. Mm. Is it Varkheist? No, it's not. But anyway, it's like a fungal mass that takes over the body. Yeah. And this, I don't want to ruin the story, but the idea is they go underground to this closed ecosystem, and someone gets infected with this yeah. fungal mass, and everyone they send in doesn't come back. It's it was a good movie actually, like. But yeah, I I feel like that's like loosely based on it. It probably is. I mean, I I get a lot of shit because I fucking love Prometheus, uh, the Ridley Scott movie, the original. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about last week. I mean, what is it all about? It's all about black goo, <laughs> you know. Essentially, that's how we start the world. Uh, everything dissolves into sentient black goo, and then it all uh, it re-evolves again. But um, it's the same kind of thing. Like, it annoys me that so many people hate that movie because they don't look at what Ridley Scott's actually saying in it. Like, he's not. It's gone from being this science fiction, like, uh, horror kind of action thing to being his kind of, like, treatise on ancient civilization and what's really going on. And, like, there's a, there's a lot of that in, like, Avatar as well. 
like um, I've been researching a lot into this thing called Tartary recently, the, the, the Tartarian conspiracy, which is this idea that uh, up to like a thousand years of history have just been fabricated and we're not in the 2021, we're in kind of 1021 and the Roman Empire was probably about five, six hundred years ago and then there was some kind of cataclysm and it destroyed a lot of that stuff and then we essentially went in and started digging it all out and rebuilding it all back up again. Um, fuck, what was I? <laughs> Where was that going? Where was that going? I went from Prometheus and Black Goo and then talking about how it was his treatise on ancient civil... Oh, and Avatar. Um, but one of the things they that this Tartarian conspiracy talks about is this idea that they kind of look at all of all of the ancient religions, like they look at the Bible and all the Mesopotamian writings and all of the, the Indo-European writings and all this, and they kind of put them together as one story. <clears throat> so you have like, for example, you know, you have the flood myth of Noah in the Bible, you have the, the flood myth of Deucalion uh, in the Greek mythology, uh, you have the flood myth of Utnapishtim in the, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh in the Babylonian mythos. Um, there's one in the Puma Punku, is in, uh, sorry, not in the Puma Punku, in, in the, uh, the South American mythology. Um, so it's, it's like, it's, you can't really look at that situation and say, well, it must be some kind of rite of passage for these civilizations to come up with a, a flood myth it's not that it's that it happened at some point and that we're not kind of because all of these civilizations have been spread out all over these different kind of time periods and you know we use carbon 14 dating to to like date stuff and it really isn't very um reliable when you... we, we use the what they use is a uh, things we found in egypt dated yeah. to the pyramids building but mm -hmm. that's only if the pyramids were built at that of time. course that's that's only so it, it could be very far out because yeah this is the this is why i quit my history degree like this exact subject is why i quit my history degree because not to make make myself sound too old but i did a history degree so oh fucking 17 18 years ago and at the time it was meant to be um, it was. I went to Lancaster in the Sunday Times like league tables of universities it was meant to be the best history university course in the country I'm really fucking proud of getting on it and all this kind of stuff and all I wanted to do was study Egypt and specifically I wanted to study uh, a guy called Christopher Dunn's theories on Egypt specifically the, the Giza power plant idea um, and when I tried to do that, so the, my first two years of university, the first year I studied American history, I'd done that at A-level, so it wasn't really anything new, it was quite kind of dull to just retread the old shit. Second year I did um, Roman history and stuff like that, and then in the third year they were like, yep, yeah, you can study whatever you want. Like, you're, you have to write this 15,000 word dissertation, it can be on anything, like anything you want to do, it can be on. So I went and spoke to the, the head of the, uh, the history department, this guy called Andrew Jostisky. And he was, he was supposed to be my um, 
my guide for my dissertation, one of the professors. He asked me what I wanted to do it on, and I was like, I want to do it on geyser power plant theory. And he went, what's that? And so immediately I was like, hang on, you're meant to be, a, like, this is bleeding edge, like, edgy Egyptology going on at the moment, and you don't know what this is. Okay, so I explained to him what it was, and he just went, no. And I was like, what do you mean, no? Like, I've been at this university for three years, and I'm finally now at the point where I can actually do my own, I can set my own research, and, you know, I can essentially say whatever I want to say, as long as I can use the... the the proper logical, reasonable arguments to back all of my stuff up, it, I should be fine. And he just went, no, we can't, there's nobody here who could mark that kind of, you, you're going into fringe theories. What you need to do is you need to just do something normal and get your degree, and then when you've left, you can go and do whatever you want, you can go and write books about that stuff if you like. And so I was having this argument with him the whole time where he was saying, no, just conform essentially you know like just write about what I actually ended up writing about was um, the use of the cannon in 15th century French warfare so the the most boring shit you could possibly write about I mean you know I'm don't get me wrong there is there's 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 interesting stuff in that but when I'm asking to you know compared to like a power plant pyramid exactly a cannons yeah. Of, yeah it's not really so I just I really fell out with the entire university system because I was like well look there's only going to be one chance in my life that I can get where I go to a place where the people who are who are administrating it all are meant to be the tippy top level of researchers like it's not that they're right about anything about everything it's that they're exceptionally good documentary researchers and they're incredibly good at being able to just chew through books and, and then, you know, write them out or rewrite their own kind of theories based around them. And so, like, the idea that I was just going to, like, do what they wanted me to do and then I could go off and be this fringe author who'd probably never sell a book because, you know... On ancient aliens. Exactly, because, you could, you know... the that was the problem this is where Christopher Dunn ended up this is where David Hatcher Trill Childress ended up it's where Graham Hancock ended and even with um, what's his face crazy fucking hair guy Giorgio Tsoukalos you know that guy's uh, he's, a legend he's but he's academically quite you know he's not a, he's not a stupid man I mean he plays a character very very well and he knows exactly what he's doing with ancient aliens and all power to him I mean fucking hell it's done it's like 17th 18th season or whatever now but he is a smart dude, and he is, um, I can't remember if he's part of the, uh, he, he, he leads, like, some society that's, um, like, the, the, I'll find it at some point, but he's, he's not just some dude who appeared out of nowhere, he's an academic guy who went as far as he could in academia, and then ended up essentially being kicked out of it, or pushed to one side, because his, his theories were too fringe, um, and he's one of the guys who's been able to make a career out of it but there are there's millions and millions of others, others that just can't because like where do you go like if i can't like it's if they want to say to me do this degree and then when you have this piece of paper that says you have this degree then you can write your books and you'll have authoritative claims because you have these letters behind your name but what actually needs to happen is these things need to be elevated to the universities and debated in the universities do you know what i mean they're still debating um egyptology theories that are essentially 120 years old 
it's yeah like research is vanishing from the academic world yeah it's um it's repeat people repeating other people's it's theory. your theories and other people's work mm -hmm. it's it's like poetry where instead of writing poetry you're like just studying other people's poetry sure you can learn techniques and ways people do stuff but you're basically regurgitating them you are copying them mm -hmm. in a I mean with Egypt specifically um, the main people who are considered like the greats are people like Flinders Petrie um, Howard, Car Howard Carter Vice these are people who were responsible for these massive discoveries but again these were made a hundred years ago and so when you look at someone like Howard Carter now um, <clears throat> he was the guy who discovered Tutankhamun's tomb and when that happened he was a Freemason and Tutankhamun was quite important to Freemasons because he was believed to be the son of Akhenaten and Akhenaten is essentially the the first the, the Freemasons call him the first monotheist and the, or the first Freemason so he's kind of meant to be the guy who was you know he fucking cut us way into Egypt and said we're not having paganism anymore we're having one god and this is where the, the Masons kind of view him as the first great human being the first made big king and all this kind of stuff so discovering Tutankhamun was very important to them because it it gave them access to that bloodline they didn't have genetics at the time but they assumed that once they had the bodies and once they had the, uh, the material they would be able to start doing stuff with it so when Carter <coughs> discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun he kept it quiet for about 10 years and we know this now because some of the Bedouins and some of the people who helped him some of the Egyptian people who helped him excavate it but what essentially he did was he spent 10 years like going into that tomb taking out anything that would question the biblical version of history anything that would suggest that Egypt was older than 7,000 years any you know anything that would suggest that as um, uh, Sigmund Freud and Emmanuel Velikovsky said that Akhenaten might have been the person Moses was based on so this is you know the, this, the, we're talking here about the possible patriarch of the entire Christian religion so to go in there and actually have fresh eyes in that tomb for the first time against what it's like after you've had 10 years of being able to get rid of all of the important stuff and we know that now like we it's it's not it's not a conspiracy it's not a, it's not even really contested in the halls of academia but we still use all of Howard Carter's research no one questions it same with Flinders Petrie like he he eyeballed the great pyramid said ah oh, it kind of looks like you know like two two million blocks each of about this kind of this kind of weight and up until like the 1990s that was still what people were nobody actually went and did a count nobody actually tried to verify any of that research or tried to challenge it basically what happened was was people went oh well flinders petrie wrote this flinders petrie's the great egyptologist so we'll just go off with what he said and that's been happening now up until the birth of the internet and when the internet was kind first came along and, and you know they started uh, you started getting these people who were doing these three or four hour lectures on the fringe talk circuit and they started getting uh, and this is how I first 
discovered Christopher Dunn. Like I just randomly watched one of his, well, it was before YouTube, but I read one of his books and then I uh, watched a, uh, a YouTube interview with him and David Hatchie Childress. And I would have never found that like before the internet. It would have just, it was, I think it was aired on Discovery Channel once. And, the, and when they aired it, it was very much with the kind of eye of going like, yeah, these guys listening to the fucking shit. Like about. rolling eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, man. Right. But yeah, this is it. It's, 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 it's very difficult with all of that shit to kind of... I mean, I am now at the point where I was talking about that Tartary thing earlier on. The re- and I'm not necessarily a believer in it, but the reason I'm studying it is because I'm now at the point where it's like, what actually is real, historically? Like... If you go back to, we don't really have books that exist beyond like the 12th, 13th century. Everything we have is a reproduction of a reproduction. And so when that's, you're talking about Josephus true. and Scaliger and the people who were allegedly writing around the first century BC, well, we don't have that. We don't have those texts. All we have is 15th century versions of them. So were they written in the 15th century? Like I've seen a, um theory very close to the one you're talking about and it's the romans aren't really in our worlds but we are simulated from a roman empire so we are a simulation being created by the romans it's and it's it's a weird one i was reading into it i was like hmm. <clears throat> well i mean it's like i suppose this goes into the consciousness thing doesn't it like the like simulation theory it is weird that um I mean, if you look at the major government on the earth at the moment, the American government, <coughs> excuse me, we like eagles. it's a Congress, a Senate, and a executive branch. We call it the president, but essentially Biden's an emperor. Um, and they call themselves a republic. Yeah, yeah. And it's all kind of, I mean, you say, again, very this, militant. Yeah. They like projecting their strength. And it all kind of comes out of the enlightenment period so the american government is or the american revolution and the american republic is very much a a result of the thinking and the books that were being right like the new atlantis for example that francis bacon wrote in the in the 16th century um they kind of you know a lot of this shows that they they knew um america was there uh, and you know from i mean the, the vikings visited america like there's a lot of um evidence to suggest that the like the asian and chinese were in america for years and like hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, anyone white ever got there um but when you look at spe- like the founding fathers especially people like jefferson and franklin these were all people who were extremely well read on socrates and plato and um who looked at the Roman Empire and kind of saw the late Roman Empire, especially the Caesarian Roman Empire, as kind of this like perfect vision of what a government should be. It is kind of odd how a lot of empires or big nations in the world mimic the Roman Empire. You've got Hitler, Mussolini, mm-hmm. you've got Napoleon. I don't know about the British Empire. We're a bit boring, I mean, we're a bit vanilla. We're almost the because like weird red. thing about Britain is that we're the end of what the Romans were trying to wipe out. If you know what I mean, like the the Romans mm. never really got hold of Britain. Islanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Britons, you know, the the Bodicea, what became the Celts, um, 
and the and the Scots. The Picts. Yeah, the Picts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone basically until the the Saxons <laughs> came along. But this is the thing: is that like, um, yeah, we we almost stand against it, if you know what I mean. Like we're the the whole character of Britain is very anti. Um, centralization it's it's kind of a long history from about this again from about the 16th century from the enlightenment period onwards <clears throat> british history is kind of this this just... attempt to emancipate the, the working people from you know the elite um and it's kind of it's kind of true in america as well apart from the fact that the people who ended up like for example george washington was um one of the, a member of what's called the Order of the Garter, and the Order of the Garter are the fifteen closest Secret Service agents to the reigning monarch at the time. So obviously, <clears throat> the mainstream narrative is that George Washington fought against the British Empire to free the Americans from British rule, whereas the reality of the situation is that George Washington essentially, um, what's the word, like misled the revolution back into the hands of the financiers who were financing the British Empire anyway. Because the main argument in America was always against central banking. Um, well, like... there's, a, there's a reason they suddenly had all these guns and ships coming mm-hmm. about. Yeah, yeah. They were perching or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is the thing about pirates. You know, um, a lot of the pirates were being paid by the British Empire to essentially go and fuck up like the coastal communities and things like this Um, this is why a lot of the pirates were actually high level people like Edward Teach who uh, became Blackbeard that dude was a high ranking Freemason like a super super esoteric dude who was like and the pirates the the word pirate in Greek is pirates means the men of fire and so these were the these were like the occultists so when you look into the the history of someone like Blackbeard he presented himself like a demon and he he knew how to do it as well. Like there was a lot of you know he knew a lot of tricks and a lot of different things to do. So his his whole thing was like um, creating this. It's almost like a floating lodge, and that's what a lot of the pirate stuff was. This is why they had the skull and crossbones as their logo. And what's the you know what's the logo of the of the. Um, the Skull and Bone Society of Yale. That's the Skull and Crossbones. It's the same thing. It's the same group of people. And so when they were flying the Skull and Crossbones, they, that's not them saying we're pirates. It's them saying we're masons. Now I have an image of every mason with a Cornish accent. <laughs> and a massive great big beard with loads of fucking <laughs> things in it. But it is, it's very interesting because it is, um, like I say, the 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 big argument in America was always against central banking. It's one of the reasons why Andrew Jackson's kind of considered like the, the preeminent anti, uh, anti-banking anti president. And the, the first third party to exist in the United States was the anti-Mason party, which existed up until the, I think the 1860s or 1870s. So they were very, very upfront about saying, we don't, we're not gonna enter in. We see how central banking has gone in the entirety of the West, and we're not going to do it. So you had all of these um, these uh, attempts. Like I think it was, I think there were two attempts by essentially, you know, the progenitors, people like the Bowers who became the Rothschilds, and you know, people who became the the Rockefellers and people like this. Um, 
and they kept trying to set up central banks and there were there were wars being fought constantly against it and the, they tried to assassinate Andrew Jackson like six times and uh, you know it's, it, they managed it with a couple of other presidents who tried to break up the banking and all this kind of stuff um, and then in 1913 they managed to do it uh, purely through um, on Christmas Eve everyone else had been sent home all the people they, they circulated a um, the, the people who wanted central banking circulated a note around to each other and said don't go home and then when everybody else went home for Christmas break they held a secret session and they passed the um, foundation of the Federal Reserve and then the year before that had happened the main financiers who were against the Federal Reserve people like John Jacob Astor all got on the Titanic and it sank. And who built the Titanic? The White Star Line, who was owned by the Rockefellers. So, like, <laughs> it gets really, really fucking deep into how, like, literally how how surreptitious, uh, like, the cartels had to be in order to get banking installed in America. And now we're 100 years later, and we're now seeing the fruits of exactly what happens when you have 100 years of central banking. We're about to enter into hyperinflation, and that's because they they took away the gold, they took away the the, the backing of any kind of money, and they just created this fractional reserve uh, currency that they print hand over fist. For everyone listening, our mental health is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are fine. I don't know about mine. I mean, you know, it's it's it's, it's one of the, I'm either fucking crazy as fuck or I'm right. It's one of the two. It's, I don't think there's any middle ground, you know what I mean? And both are really, really sad <laughs> outcomes. Like, there's no winning in over those outcomes. Because if you're right, you're like, shit. <laughs> and if you're wrong, you're like, shit. But it is definitely, I mean, we, <coughs> excuse me, we even have the same problem in Britain. The Bank of England runs under exactly the same, I mean, the Bank of England was the first, first one really to do it, or, or at least in the modern age. There's a guy called Joseph Farrell who wrote a book called uh, Babylon's Banksters. And it's very interesting because in the, I think it was in the 13th century, one of the things that the Catholic Church did was banned what they called usury. And usury is lending money at extortionate rates of interest. Jewish bankers entered in the Venetian cities. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this is is the beginning of... uh, like I don't really want to say it but Illuminati stuff because that was I mean essentially what happened was on the one side you had the um, you had the Christian Crusades on the other side you had the Muslim Caliphate and both of them were surrounding the Khazarian Empire and so they gave the Khazarian Empire essentially a uh, an ultimatum <laughs> either be Christian or be Muslim or we'll both invade you and we'll fight over you and all this kind of stuff what the Khazarians did in a smart move was become Jewish uh, culturally Jewish and religiously Jewish so not uh, Israelites in the genetic sense and this is where what what is called the Khazarian or the Ashkenazi line of Judaism comes from and because they're not really beholden to the idea of Judaism, because they didn't really, they didn't convert for religious reasons, they converted for banking reasons, because Judaism was the only religion that would allow them to continue lending money at interest. 
Um, so this is how when you've got when you the reason why it was banned is because obviously if you if you lend money at interest the way that the banking system works was that the templars when they were going to off to the crusades they didn't want to take massive amounts of money of gold with them because they were just going to get you know uh they'd get highway robbery all the way all the way there they probably wouldn't even make it they'd probably get killed so they had to figure out a way of maintaining their wealth overseas so what the templars did was that they started saying right if you store your gold with us we will have all of these different stores of gold all around the world and you give your gold to us and then we give you a promissory note and you can go any to any of these banks anywhere you know along the trail to towards the fighting the caliphate and you'll be able to hand this promissory note to one of our banks and they'll give you your gold back and this is how cash started this is like the this is why this is like the temple the templar secret essentially um and so what they realized was that if they're doing that if everyone's giving you your gold their gold right and then every now and then someone comes to you with a promissory note and asks for a small amount of that gold back but they're quite happy to keep for you to keep the gold because it means they don't have to like you know bury it under the shed or anything the templars began to realize right we've got all of these massive stores of gold and it's very very unlikely that everyone is going to run to us at the same time and ask for their gold back so what we can do is we can use this gold as a guarantee to start loaning out uh, yeah, promissory notes and we're the ones that essentially have the entire store of gold so we're so no one can really ask us no one can really audit what we have so we're all we can do, we can just keep inflating the level of what we're doing and we still have all of this gold to use as a guarantee to just start loaning money out and so they're literally creating money from money and this is talismanic magic this is this is why joseph p fowler wrote a book called babylon's banksters because this is the chaldean or the the the, the talismanic arm of the chaldean magic that everyone talks about when they talk about like oh well, what's all the dark arts that these people are involved in well money is 100 percent like the first one of it because that's how you create you can create a situation where you have this little talisman and someone gives you that talisman and just by virtue of that talisman existing you can create wealth and by creating wealth you create influence and by creating influence you can change manipulate and change the world so like when they realized they could do this um they had like three or four hundred years of just being completely unchallenged and this is why the friday the 13th exists as a as an occult day because i think it was in like 13 uh, like 12 10 or 12 13 don't check my dates on this it's somewhere around that um the the pope and the king of spain were like right we can't have this anymore like these this templar group have more money and more influence than us and they're a military order so we're essentially at their mercy like if they want to turn around and because they were the the king and the vatican were also because they ambushed them in france didn't they yes yeah and they um they essentially they got them all in or got the majority of them in one go because they fled mm-hmm. by ship to either scotland or the americas well they kind of went to a few different places they went they definitely some of them went to america some of them went to france 
and created the French Revolution and created socialism and all of that kind of stuff. Scottish right, the same. Well, that's the most important one, you see, because the reason, obviously the reason they went back to Scotland is because they, the Masons believe in this kind of like very biblical version of history. They're not necessarily Christians, but they do believe that like there's truth to the old texts and things like this. And so they kind of believe that the the Britain and Ireland are kind of the 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 remnants of Atlantis and are the remnants of where the like the the original gods and kings were. Because there's the reported Thai Brazil, right? Of, mm. Yes. Of the coast of uh-huh. Ireland. Absolutely. And and you know, England itself used to be called Albion. Um, and if you go back and look at someone like Geoffrey of Monmouth, for example. So Geoffrey of Monmouth was a, a Vatican priest in the 12th century who uh, came over to England and essentially went to all of the di- little different villages and all of the little different kind of shamanistic pagan traditions and wrote down all the stories. And this is where a lot of, uh, between that book and another book called the, the Histori Britannium Regnum, I think it's called, this is where the majority of the King Arthur myth comes from. Uh, but not the French Romantic King Arthur myth is because that's what usually the movies kind of the, like the, the really dark stuff. one yeah yeah the really dark stuff the yeah. kind of the real shit um, and it's all giants and you know uh, magic and it's basically it's it's the history of like the folk history of England and it talks about how England was originally invaded by the Trojans by a guy called Brutus of Troy and the first thing he did when he got to England is he faced a giant called Gog Magog um, and most of the still a lot of places in England are called Gog and Magog and fucking um, the the Lord Mayor's parade, uh, parade in London is led by two wicker statues of giants called Gog Magog uh, sorry Gog and Magog and George Bush's um, George H.W. Bush's uh, nickname or code name in the Skull and Bones organisation was Magog. And then if you go to, <laughs> this is getting really deep, but if you go to the Bible, to Revelations, um, the it's like Revelations 9-11 or something like that, and it talks about Gog and Magog being the people who open the pit or the people who open the portal, if you want to look at it that way, but basically loose all of the, all of the demons from the deep during Revelations. So these Thanks, are, yes. <laughs> and again, I mean, you know, that's the guy who who he had a lot to do with CERN, because um, CERN isn't really a, a like a. I mean, it is a scientific experiment, but it's also it, an occult. It, it magic does creep me out the fact they've got a statue of Kali. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, of Shiva. Shiva. Sorry. Shiva. Yeah, yeah. Doing the dance of destruction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the funny thing is, it's people get that slightly wrong because they think it's the dance of destruction. It's not. It's the dance of rebirth through destruction. So the point of of, um, of that statue of Shiva herself is that she destroys the world in order for it to be reborn and in order for it to be refined. So when you look at the ideas that the elite are involved in and this idea that they kind of want to cull and they want to then, you know, come out of that in a 
in, out, come out of this overpopulation into a golden age. That's essentially what they're saying by having that statue there. It's like doom acceleration. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, there is. There's a lot of acceleration. Why suffer for on. a long time? You can suffer for a short time and rebuild quicker. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and if you know these things are coming, why not instigate them so you can manage them? And that's, you know, there are arguments to be made scientifically that that's not a bad idea. It's just that the, it's just the. <laughs> The religions of the people involved in this are not the people you want running it because you know they are very much they're luciferians and they, they want to be god as opposed to you know uh, worship a god yeah and that's yeah. a worrying thing yeah definitely yeah it's a big problem in society i think because i think this is what a lot of this shit comes down to like how do you stop them that's the first thing how do you even convince people that they're there like with this stuff you get you get people who someone else facts checks for them they'll yeah. they'll go to a website and they'll be look 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 and it's like who wrote that like yeah who are they personally like everyone has an emotive and an agenda so if i want you to think like me i just write any yeah. random story like i don't care if my facts are right or wrong i'll I will literally tell you what I want you to tell me, or my boss tells you. Yeah, I mean, that's what mass media is. Yeah, it's definitely. it's there to control you. Yeah, and well, this is why they why they're called television programs, because it's literal programming. It's it's the it's always been like uh, history is kind of this long march. Of the individual trying to get out from the from underneath the boot of the consensus, and that consensus is very rarely based on any kind of version of reality. It's usually based on some kind of narrative, or like you say, some kind of agenda. Um, we kind of have to come to terms with the fact that, like, we've had a good thousand years of genuine sociopaths and psychopaths in charge of, of reality and in charge of. of like our nations it's real obvious but people yeah. don't believe it but it wasn't it wasn't obvious for a long time because people were subsistence living and people didn't see it happening it's only since we've been we've been able to kind of pull ourselves up from just living you know literally meal to meal like wondering like having to actually you know grow all your like a lot of like the ecological people at the moment you, you, you speak to them and you ask them what they want and it kind of appears like they want to return to subsistence farming. And it's like, do you people understand how fucking backbreaking that labour is? And how if you'd gone if you went back to your great 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 granddads and said to them, Hey, you don't have to spend your life come and live with me like three hundred years in the future, you don't have to spend your life doing backbreaking labour all the time for the most minimum for like literal subsistence living. Like, you can now, even if you're a working class person in the West, like, you, you pretty, most, most of them still have fucking smartphones, most of them still have computers, you know. We're living such a, a massively inflated standard of living now that we actually have time to start thinking about these things. And we have time to start talking about them, you know. Like, and people have started talking about them, like, we are now doing a podcast about it because like we've been having these conversations for years and it's like well 
there's loads of people having these conversations just why isn't the best thing to do like add your voice to it and you know it's it, I don't know I don't know what the point was there <laughs> yeah I forgot as well <laughs> <laughs> I mean we started on pyramids mm. and now we're where are we now I don't know I can't remember what we were just talking about mass media mass you? media programs yeah, yeah yeah I mean it's 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 like this so you got June out at the moment yeah this movie and I like Frank Herbert's June uh, it's fucking it's an, it's an arse ache to read like some of it's not enjoyable reading some of it is a slog but it is good but what's the main thing of June is they're talking about the idea that fear is the mind killer and that this is how you control a civilization is by if there's an outside threat make them think the outside threat's going to kill them if there's no outside threat create an internal one well people are addicted to fear like mm. I found you know, I'm I'm guilty myself I used to sit there and like read the news all the time like oh my god this is gonna kill me oh my god this is out to get me oh my god the world's going down the drain and you're like wait like why am I addicted to shit that scares me yeah and it wasn't until a little revelation I had where I was like yeah, fuck that I'm, I'm, I'm not watching that shit no more and the moment you cut it out you're like oh wow that's, that's well, I mean, good you like, and also you take yourself out of like this conversation as well because like I like at the moment I every single person I know is talking about Squid Game you know everyone's memeing about it everyone's talking about it I haven't watched that shit because why would I watch a Korean produced like series on Netflix of all places that's fucking run by the Benet's family about like how... rich people taking advantage of people <laughs> yeah. in like dire straits exactly yeah it's like it's almost too on the fucking nose that shit it, and they've tried to kind of um, uh, what's the word promote it as this like anti-capitalist thing whereas actually it's it's like showing it's like that shit's happening in North Korea laughing at you yeah absolutely and it's showing it's kind of every time something like that happens like people have these kind of like hunger game fantasies and like I've I've like, spoken to a lot purge. of people remember who, the purge fantasies yeah, yeah, people have absolutely and it's like what's wrong with you I think you you have a lot of people who genuinely like the zombie thing as well I think it was kind of the same similar kind of symptom I'm guilty about this though I'm kind of guilty about this one well I mean <laughs> but it's, it's understandable like do you know what I mean because I like I loved um, all the night of the living dead in the original like uh, Italian horror gallo movies it's, it's not the killing part that I like it's the trying to run away bit you know what I mean like the how well would I do yeah how well would I do well, if, not well by the way like yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I suppose if you gamify it, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like that's what people have done with this. People have, people have spent the last decade or so in their heads gamifying the end of the world, gamifying the apocalypse, because they all, I mean, you know, from 2000 to 2012, and then on into like this modern climate catastrophe and stuff like that, people are anticipating and expecting the end of the world and i think they're almost getting to the point where they're like like that meme with that dude with the stick just pointing it going like come on come on end come on just do it just get it fucking over and done with and i think a lot of people have fantasized about it and a lot of people have been uh you know if it happened would probably kind of this like, is why like minecraft it. exists 
is to teach the new kids to uh, rebuild oh, the world. The fuck out of me, man. Jesus. <laughs> I've seen some uh, like my. my this mate's is why kids. Fortnite's popular as well now because yeah. it's going to be a battle royale first. Then they have to rebuild using their Minecraft skills. <laughs> I've seen what these kids do on Minecraft. Like what the? Yeah. Like it's they scary. build computers out of little torch blocks. And yeah, like, man. There's a there's some, there is some good stuff in Minecraft. There's a there's a dude who built like the entire library of Congress with every single file like library organized, and so yeah, it's just going to be there now on a server, and you can go in there and kind of you know, and it, and it's quite a good idea in terms of like um, how do you get kids to get into this kind of information or gamify it, like make it make it fun for them to try and kind of go after it. It's yeah. It's kind of sad that we should, we don't gamify things that are good for kids. No. <laughs> Instead, yeah. like, like I am desensitized to gore now. I am. Oh yeah. I noticed the other day. I was. It was an image of a guy like missing his face. No idea how I got came across it. I think it was a Discord server. Anyway, so I was like, wow. Oh, so I scrolled away and I was like, shit. Like, how would someone react to that a hundred years ago? Like, you know, they. I remember Nosferatu being mm. too scary for people of the day, and like you watch that movie now, and you're like, well, "What's this? Like, this isn't scary." It's like a boiling pot, a boiling frog in a pot kind of thing, with that level of desensitization because, like, um, slow. It is, and yeah. it's, and it was, it's gotten a lot worse. Like, I, I worked in blockbusters for like seven or eight years before it closed down, and you, like, I kind of. I was there where Saw became popular and like the hostel movies and there was this yeah and and it is porn like that's the exact perfect way to describe it because you've through the whole like slow desensitization of generation after generation to this kind of stuff like almost the removal of any kind of like PTSD that you would have uh, in any in a war situation or something like that like it's people people are now kind of craving it because there is like we're animals and there's this weird morbid fascination that we have about killing and death and like you know it's it's what 90 percent of religion is fucking there for you know to try and deal with these like morbid fascinations and stuff that we have and because it's been provided constantly for years and years and years now like i like i said last week to you like i i was one of the first people in my class to have a television in my room and it was you know like and my mates would come over and we'd watch like random fucking channel four channel five stuff at ridiculous times of night when they were showing movies that kids my age shouldn't be watching and so when the saw and hostel stuff came along i i didn't have an aversion to it i kind of had to make a conscious decision of saying like why am i watching this like why do i want to consume this like why do I want to put it in my head why do I want these images constantly like now I know what it looks like and sounds like for someone to be torn in half by a butcher's hook why do I want that in my head what does that actually add it's not even good horror like yeah. horror is a scary situation it's it's either a pursuer a I don't know, I don't know what you is that? I don't think that's all horror is a pursuer usually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you have your pursuer, and then that's it. It's 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 people who you would relate to in a situation where you would be absolutely terrified. I've actually just described Saw 
Shit. Well, but, it's not even good horror. Right, a, I'll cut this bit out one second. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time code that shit. Yeah, don't yeah. delete it. But, uh, <laughs> but it is also the reason why um, people like Hitchcock uh, are so fucking amazing. Because what Hitchcock's doing is he's not trying to. It's your imagination. Yeah, that's that's well, where this your is fear the thing. comes we from. We are we we have it built into us, like. What the what a really good smart horror movie will do will be to trigger your fight or flight response, and it'll that will terrify you because you're genetically engineered to What's suspense. To, exactly, so it's not. This is why the original fucking Alien movie was so good because they barely showed the alien, and when they did, it was fucking terrifying. You, you were sat there waiting, like thinking, yeah. like when's it gonna pop up? Mm-hmm. Is it now? Like you'd have these, like this is why I hate jump scares. Like jump scares. Yes. Yeah generally it's taken cheap. out it's there's no suspense like yeah. you can't have a guy pop up behind the mirror randomly yeah i shit myself but that's not the point right it's not good horror it's cheap yeah right it is it's like kicking me in the balls <laughs> yeah i mean you i suppose you get the result but it's not much work <laughs> yeah <laughs> like very easy kind of like call and response that shit but yeah i mean it's 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 definitely i think it's it says something about what the agenda is behind it that it's become so over the top and so overt and so blatant. And you have companies like, uh, I mean, Disney are involved in all this. Like, when you start running back who owns all of the different companies, like, Disney owns Lionsgate that released, like, Saw. So they have, like, a, an arm in all of this kind of stuff. So they're doing, on the one side, they're doing, like, the happy, cutesy stuff for kids. And then on the other side, when it gets to the adults, they're literally releasing, like, this, this torture porn. And all it does is it desensitizes you it's, it just it, it takes away any um the innocence yeah and also the kind of horror response like the 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 response that you would have see when you see all that kind of stuff constantly when it's going into your into your frontal lobe well bypassing your frontal lobe when you're watching it on tv and it's just going straight into your, your subconscious so your subconscious doesn't really identify or critically analyze any of that stuff as it's going in this is one of the things about flicker rates on televisions it literally hypnotizes you so that your your frontal lobe just shuts down so any critical assessment of the information just gets completely lost so when you're just having that stuff consistently just beamed into your head and your brain really isn't kind of looking at it and making the conscious decision and saying this is not real this is a image on a screen these are actors that like being engrossed yeah like, absolutely yeah. it's like being so engrossed in something you're just that's it you're following it literally as if you were there yeah, sort of thing. yeah absolutely and so that has that has a much different effect than you know than you actually being uh, in a situation where say for example you were living 200 years ago and tvs didn't exist news didn't exist radio didn't exist so the only time you would ever see something like that would be if you went to war and that's why people came back either fucking berserk or as or shell-shocked these were the two responses that you had but you don't have those responses now people don't look at those kinds of images of someone getting the head chopped off or something like or something really fucking gruesome and they just kind of, you know, they might have the kind of, it might make them feel a bit weird, but they don't have like a terror response to it. So then when you transpose that onto the news and you start seeing like news is, is essentially what 
fucking awful, terrible shit happened in the world today. It's terrible now. It is. It is. It's. You, you flick it on and you want to see what's going wrong so you can moan about it with friends yeah. who have also just become addicted to it. It's. And it's not only that as well. You go to a pub and it's just people moaning about the world. Yeah. And it's like, oh, did you see what they did today? Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's, and not only that, it's like people, this is how the, the ecological, like climate change stuff gets popular because people genuinely believe that there are more natural disasters today and that there's more, um, you know, uh, there's more freak weather events and all this. And it's not that there's more, it's that, you know, they, people are seeing them more because they're being broadcast on 24 hours. Like, imagine the, um, What's it called? The uh, fuck the tsunami that happened in was it New Zealand a couple of years ago, or was it or was it somewhere in China? I can't remember. Thailand. Thailand maybe. I can't, it was the the, the Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia. It was after that gigantic like eight point nine or something. Was it the two thousand and nine one was that two thousand? Yeah, something like that. I can't. But two thousand four. I remember seeing um, those images of that tsunami coming in and flooding and i never really given what a tsunami was any thought before or the effect of it of all this kind of stuff and so i kind of had this opinion that like you know maybe there's a couple of inches of water and and it floods everyone's basement oh what a fucking nightmare but you actually watch what happened and it's just this torrent of like like the sea literally just came onto land and just washed the fucking everything away now, even if you'd have heard of that a hundred years ago or read about it in a paper, it would just be like, oh, something happened in Indonesia. But when you're literally in the viewpoint of people on a balcony, like filming with a mobile phone as the water comes in and you fucking, you can see people and you can see cars and you can see buildings being washed away. And it's like that shit 100% traumatizes you. It was like the, was it the, Beirut explosion yeah last year wasn't mm-hmm. it well that like I, when I watched that like I was like oh wow that's terrible and then went on with my day where I should I should have been shocked in, in absolute devastation and devastated for these people like but you can't I mean how could you the, the, the problem is is that I've watched too if many you... stro- drone strike videos that's well, what it is yeah I I've mean been... fuck I've, I've watched man fuck lively can uh rotten.com like, I, I've oh. got stuff in my head that yeah stuff I don't want like and 100%. every now and then it'll pop back up mm-hmm. and I'm like oh shit it's well that's back. the thing I mean it was like I when I was kind of you know I was getting I was being about kind of 15, 16 17 when the internet was getting really popular and Jackass was kind of getting really you popular you so. your friends by yeah. watching the most fucked yeah, exactly. up shit and, um, you, and you don't realise what you're doing to yourself yeah, you're man. like oh no there's some, there's some yeah I've got that image of that fucking dude cut in half uh, in a car accident trying to crawl back towards his moped in Indonesia yeah, like that's permanently stuck in my fucking head I remember um, trying to show a mate how cool I was because I ate spaghetti bolognese while watching Two Girls One Cup <laughs> oh, <fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> I made it through that's impressive no idea I, I was subliminally thinking that it was ice cream <laughs> just eating chocolate ice cream it's just chocolate ice cream well, I mean, that's good, but this is a thing as well. But so you can, you can, you can just switch yourself off to it. Now. You can desensitize yourself to it, and that's a real, really bad thing because it just means that, like, 
I mean, look how desensitized everyone is to, to what's been going on in the last like 18 months in terms of all like the uh, the pandemic restrictions and well at first it was pandemonium people were panicking and now they're like well that's it and also it's almost as if people just don't want to admit they were wrong like people are kind of keeping on going along with this because like I'm willing to admit um, in February of 2020 I was like shit this could be it like like you know, like I we you know I've gone we've gone through like SARS and bird flu and swine flu and all this kind of shit and all of those all of those pandemics kind of just fizzled off. Even though a lot more people actually died of uh, like the original SARS than COVID nineteen, you know, a lot more people died of bird flu than uh, than COVID nineteen. But that's a different uh, different subject. But um, we might get cancelled for that before yeah, we even start. It's all good, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, the deep state doesn't yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> but the point being that like it that, was, that it was a was, joke by the way you could even say back at that point if you weren't you know inclined to believe that, that you know all of the all of the governments just one big cartel you could even admit at that point kind of February March time in 2020 like what would you even have done in government at that stage because it was like it was being really really ramped up and people genuinely thought like i can remember the feeling of being like oh shit what fucking hell? what happens if like covid comes out over here and then i remember the first night that there was like first the first british case of covid and all that and i had this like monumental feeling of dread because i've kind of always been you know of the opinion that the elite are going to try and do something and go so i was like fuck is this it is this what's going to happen but it very clearly, even but I would say even by June, July of 2020, it became very clear that they were massively inflating the numbers by misreporting death statistics. Uh, all of that was written into the to the COVID Act, so they suspended mortuary norms and they weren't doing um, uh, coroner's inquiries and autopsies and stuff like this. So just the potential for for fudging statistics statistics was massive like so much to the point that it can only really have been purposefully done that way so that they could fudge statistics and i think that a lot of people actually do understand that and do know that and they do know that covid isn't this like world-ending pandemic it's not even really as bad as the flu um like it can kill you but yeah, of course. the flu would have killed you as well yeah, like, yeah well it's like i'm i've had a few arguments about the vaccine with people and um, Robert Malone the guy who invented mRNA technologies um, has been quite vocal on Twitter about the fact that in people under 60 there's a 0.09% chance of myopericarditis from the vaccine where there's only a 0.05% chance of like suffering a bad case of COVID or, or dying from it and people get angry about it because they're like oh so what you so you're saying there's more chance of if you're under 60 there's more chance of dying from the vaccine than from covid and i'm saying yes but you also have to realize that we're still in the 99 point like one percentile here we're not talking about like millions and millions of people we're talking about if you if you look at the the nhs figures sorry the ons figures where um there were 
freedom of information requests done where they basically said can you give us the figures the actual figures of people who have directly been killed by covid as a consequence of contracting covid not people who died when they with it but people who were literally killed by it and that that came out around september time i think it was and it adds up to about five seven thousand people in britain over the whole of the 18 months that covid's been around and that's statistically insignificant like it's real it's you know i mean that's i hate, to, I hate to say it's horrible flu season yeah well i mean a bad flu season would be worse we've only gone back to the level of 2002 uh, 2006 2007 um in terms of the excess deaths so in the last 30 years if you drew a graph of the last 30 years and put all of the uh, the excess deaths in different years 2020 would fall literally directly in the middle there were worse years in the um, uh, early 2000s and there were reasons for that you know there were there were kind of underlying conditions and, and there was problems in the care system and all this and problems with non-disclosure uh, not non-disclosures but uh, non-resuscitation and all this kind of, and a lot of that was solved which is why ooh, hold on a lot of that was solved which is why um the death rate for the last kind of 10 years or so has been coming down but when you talk about it going back up again it's not like it's going back up to or it's not like it's breaking records it's literally it's it's just gone back up to what like 2006 2007 levels were so in terms of the fear thing like the the way that that particular uh virus has been engineered into being this fear like based mind control event which is really what it is you know it's it's a convenient outbreak i'm just saying it's a very i don't even think the, the fact that that you know the Obama had banned gain-of-function research in the US. Yeah. Fauci moves it over to China, Wuhan, Wuhan. Mm -hmm. and then people tell me, oh, yeah, pangolin in the wet market. What? What is? What is more likely? Yeah. A lab in Wuhan that specialises in gain-of-function research that do have samples of the coronavirus yeah. and have been experimenting on it, also have had um, multiple strikes on health and safety. Mm -hmm. And they or were... a pangolin in a wet market yeah. like you see so there's like there's fire there yeah. you need to look for smoke it's literal fire yeah. there's no where there's smoke there's fire the fire is there it's you're there it goes like, really really deep like fauci is uh it might seem a bit kind of over the top to call him like a joseph mengele level kind of figure but he really is like he's he's um so, so there's a guy called Kerry Mullis. Kerry Mullis is the, um, the, the a professor who won the Nobel Prize for inventing the PCR test method. And he became famous. Well, he was already very famous, but he became quite notorious for calling Dr. Fauci out through the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. Because just like COVID-19, the National Institute of Health under Fauci predicted that there would be 2 million deaths in the first year of AIDS in America alone. And that's exactly the same as what Patrick, uh, not Patrick, oh, what's his name, Do Dr. Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College, the the um, 
the model that he built predicted two million deaths in North America alone. And this is the reason behind two, uh, two weeks to flatten the curve and the lockdowns. So um, after he won the Nobel Prize, Gary Mullis started going around the kind of talk circuit and doing these, these lectures and he kept getting asked about Fauci. And one of the things he said was that the, the PCR method should never be used as a diagnostic test because you can essentially, as long as you, uh, if you look for something like a coronavirus, well, coronaviruses have, have been around for, I mean, it's the common cold. It's, you know, the flu itself is a version of a coronavirus. You know, there are many, many of these things. And they weren't testing for COVID-19 in the PCR tests. They were testing for SARS-CoV-2. COVID-19 is the is the condition that you get from a bad neg a negative reaction to SARS-CoV-2. And everyone's had SARS-CoV-2 like many many times over many many years because it's been circulating ever since SARS uh, was created, uh, and it was created by Dr. Fauci, funnily enough. So. Um, Kerry Mullis was basically saying that what Fauci had done had misappropriated the PCR testing method to ramp up the idea that there was going to be an epidemic. And then he tried to introduce um, a, an AIDS vaccine. And the AIDS vaccine ended up killing more people than AIDS was killing at the time. So when you compare this situation to the AIDS epidemic and what Fauci did during the AIDS epidemic, it's incredibly similar. And the people who were um, involved with the like the highest level experts, people like Kerry Mullis, who invented the PCR test, were calling him out constantly. He called him like a notorious liar. He said he was willing to lie on television. Uh, it said that he knew nothing about viruses, nothing about immunology, and just absolutely shat all over, all over him from a great height. And he died in 2019, about three months before COVID came out. But the weird thing about COVID itself, so, oh, I can't remember the name. There's a guy called, a German dude called Rainer Fulmig, who's a German podcaster who's been really, really good throughout COVID-19. He's been um, uh, in, uh, interviewing all the really kind of pertinent people. And one of the people that he interviewed was this insurance underwriter. And as part of the um, insurance claims that have been happening for these major corporations, this insurance in, in, uh, underwriter obviously has to investigate COVID-19 as part of this thing. And what he found when he started going back through the, the US patent log was that he found things like, for example, the actual SARS virus itself, uh, the, the United States Department of Defense and the National Institute of Health under Fauci own the patent for SARS. So they literally patented SARS, either when they created it genetically or when they discovered it. And then it was um, attempted to be used as a delivery system for the AIDS vaccine that Fauci was fucking about with. And it didn't work. And when it didn't work, that's when it was sold wholesale to the DOD to start essentially this, what they call gain of function um, research, which is essentially bioweapons research. And so the, um, the point of like the mRNA vaccine is that it uh, creates this spike protein 
and it interacts with like the ACE receptors in human cells. And this guy found out that the the patent for the specific mechanism of binding to the human cell that is present in COVID-19, which makes it possible to, to infect human beings, whereas most bat-based coronaviruses can't, that patent's owned by the Department of Defense and National Institute of Health under Fauci as well. Um, so in Fauci's emails, it became pretty clear that the the people in America who, would do, who were conducting this research were complaining to him and saying this is highly unethical, we don't want to be involved with bio-weapons uh, research. They were getting really shirty about it. Which is why Obama and Fauci's National Institute of Health exported it to Wuhan in China. So, two months before, uh, no, sorry, a month before October 2019. So, in it'll have been in September 2019, I think. You might have to fact check this, but anyway. Either in September or October of 2019, John Hopkins um, Medical School alongside the Gates Foundation ran this thing called Event 201 and Event 201 was a tabletop um, uh, simulation of an outbreak of a plague yeah of a bat (laughs) well yeah well this is the thing they do this stuff on quite a regular basis because you know like for example on 9-11 there were drills being run um, that simulated like planes being hijacked and stuff like and this is one of the reasons why um, when they tried to get in touch with NORAD when people were saying like there's fucking there's a plane stuck out the middle of the uh, world trade center norad were like no don't worry it's that's not real it's just a test <laughs> it's, oh, it's just a, a war game simulation so they ran one of these tabletop war game strategy simulations that was called event 201 and if you go and read the the event 201 information it's literally it's covid it's 100 percent the covid outbreak apart from i think it happens in their simulation it happened in brazil but it's literally like the a bat flies into a pig, bites a pig somewhat, and you know what I mean? And like you have this whole sequence of situations which end up with this supposed natural um, um, virus being transmitted to human beings. So when it came to that actually happening a month later, um, they, they literally just run a simulation on how they were going to handle it. So all of the lockdown stuff, like there was a, the the uh, the Rockefellers released a document in 2010 called Operation Lockstep, which was this document dealing with like, like dealing with how uh, virus lockdowns and all, everything that social distancing, all of the stuff that we we've seen just happen. Um, so you can literally run the paper trail of where these people were setting this up, right up to the point where they war gamed it a month before it happened. So I struggle to see it as anything other than like a bioweapon release, but it's just whether or not it was released on purpose or released by accident. And I think it was probably released on purpose. I've played Resident Evil. I know what's up. I mean, have you seen the... um, (laughs) Type in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and look at their... Is that the umbrella? Yeah, it's essentially the... And and that is just the Knights of Malta logo, the umbrella logo. So it's, they're literally saying, telling you who it is, who's doing it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, obviously the the reason, the main reason that I would think that this is 
done on purpose is because it perfectly coincides with the Great Reset. And Klaus Schwab is a fucking Nazi. Like 100% a Nazi. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what the, re the Great Reset is? Guessing, I'm guessing it's something to do with a new world order and uh... it, it is the new so uh, at the moment um, there's a guy called Klaus Schwab and his dad was a ran this weapons factory in Ravensburg Germany um, that received the award I think it was like a it was like called like the model the model national socialist company or something like this so uh, he was he was in the SS you know he was creating weapons for both sides so he managed to do a deal with the British that the British wouldn't um, bomb Ravensburg or bomb any of Klaus Schwab's buildings right or his father's factories so after the Second World War the financiers of the Nazis essentially created this thing called the European Economic Council which was them attempting to take all of the power and the wealth that they'd got through funding the Nazi party and saying, all right, look, Hitler's gone. Like, we can't do this by force anymore. How do we maintain this hegemony? How do we, like, continue on as the modern-day plutocrats? And the way that they did it was they created all these massive centralised organisations. So, for example, the first um, uh, head of the EU was a guy called Walter Hallstein, who was Hitler's personal lawyer. Um, the first like head of NATO was a, a former SS officer like the guy who set up uh, NASA was Werner von Braun who was a very very famous Nazi scientist and an ardent like proper SS like bloodline believing kind of thing hang, used to hang like poor oh, God, yeah. slaves mm -hmm. outside his factory yeah. yeah yeah there's a guy called Timo Stuckman I think his name is and he does these he goes urbexing around um, a lot of the places in Bavaria where because like the Germans kind of just let a lot of that shit rot so you can really go and find like where Hitler's old bunkers were and all this kind of guy yeah, called rocket factories on yeah, the grounds, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll show you the uh, I'll send you a, a, one of his things later on because they're really really fascinating so um, again, this is getting back into the centralised banking thing so they figured out essentially because the it was the central banks like the, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England that were funding the Nazi Party and the, um, the the rebuilding of the Wehrmacht against like the Treaty of Versailles. But on the other side, they were also funding um, like the, the the Bolsheviks and Stalin and all this kind of stuff to cut, to fight off against each other. And they made millions and millions by arming both sides and basically using Switzerland as like a neutral banking area. And this is how kind of European and international finance has been since the end of the Second World War. So although we kind of believe that we live in these like secular democracies, we really don't. Like our politics are bought and they have been for a long, long period of time. And this is why they really didn't want us to leave the EU because the EU is eventually just the continuation of the German like Kantian Hegelian Categorical, categorical imperative kind of idea that where they're like we're going to have one country we're going to be one people and we're going to have one leader and it's going to be us and <laughs> you know so um that 
method of thinking just hasn't disappeared at all. And the same is true of like eugenics and this idea of bloodline politics and the idea that um, you know there are still people around who, and it's not even necessarily white supremacy. It's more it's bloodline supremacy. Like there's there's black people involved in this. There's Chinese people involved in it. There's 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 uh, you know. Um, South American people involved, or South African people involved in it. It's about bloodline and the maintenance of plutocracy. It's not about kind of white supremacy. That's kind of how it's sold to people, so that it's you know there's a stupid like thing. That, feudalism. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, well, this is it. So, so Klaus Schwab, who's the son of this guy, who this man who was you know deeply involved in kind of na- Nazi eugenics uh, and Nazi war machine building. Uh, he now runs this thing called the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is like the G7, the Davos group, the the Bilderberg kind of, you know, the highest level people in corporate intelligence and finance. And um, he released this document a couple of years ago uh, that was called The Great Financial Reset. And essentially what he wants to do is literally reset the entire financial system back to zero because he realizes obviously that we are on a hyperinflationary curve that we're not going to be able to stop if we continue with fractional reserve printing and all this kind of stuff but they want to get rid of cash they want to get rid of um uh, they want to instigate like a social credit system like the one that they have in china and all this this is what they're doing at the moment and when you look at for example justin trudeau like Justin Trudeau is like this darling of the of leftist politics. He's this like you know, even though he there's loads of pictures of him blackface and all this kind of stuff. He's still considered to be this this very kind of philosophical intellectual leftist. And he gave a speech to the UN um, in the middle of 2020. And you can see again, you can go and watch it on YouTube. And he literally says the words. Um, the, the COVID-19 pandemic is a fantastic opportunity to move forward with uh, the great financial reset and the UN's Agenda 21 sustainable goals, uh, develop, uh, sustainable development goals. Now, Agenda 21 is the, is the new world order. That's literally the, like if you went to Alex Jones and said, Alex Jones, who, who's, what, does, what do you mean when you say the new world order? He would say, well, it's Agenda 21, you know, <laughs> bam, up hills. And um, so they're just openly speaking about this now. Like, I've got, you can go like, on my shitty fucking blog that I do. I was writing things 10 years ago about, about the UN's moving forward with this massive global centralization of power. They want one nation, one people, one government. Uh, and they don't mean that in a nice way. They mean it in that they want, everybody under the jack boot and they want them 100 percent in unassailable power we'll go into dystopian style this is well, shit. I, you see again i the more it gets exposed um the more people like kind of wake up to it and that's what was it's like again it's this idea of like the boiling frog in the pot like this has been coming for a long long period of time and in the like when 9-11 happened in 2001 and then the internet kind of came forward and you started seeing people slowly go like is the is the water getting a bit warm like is it just me or is the water getting a bit hot and then a couple of years later after that like before trump came 
like at the end of the Obama administration, you had people kind of going, right, yeah, no, I'm getting out of this pot, man. It's not, it doesn't, doesn't feel good. Like I think something, something bad's going to happen. And they've now reached a point where they can't move forward with this agenda without it being public. So they have to publicise it. So what they, what we're seeing now is every single negative conspiracy that's been talked about for the last 15 years essentially being like exposed and admitted to but they're going but it's but it's good it's a good thing so Klaus Schwab wrote wrote this document that said um, the essential thing of it was that you will own nothing and you will be happy like you will live as this feudal kind of uh, surf. yeah surf. neo surf exactly at the will of the state That's and you'll you'll have your universal basic income and you'll be able to travel to where the tra- public transport you know travels uh, to but you won't be able to go abroad and you won't be you know that's for the elite that's for the people who can afford the carbon taxes and none of that shit actually matters to them um, but you will be happy in your slavery in your serfdom and this is what they this is absolutely what they want like this meta stuff with Facebook the whole artificial I mean that is literal I mean that shit was 2011 go, live in, go live in your box yeah. yeah live in the pod eat the bugs own nothing just watch porn all day and all the information and entertainment will just be piped into you you don't have to go and look for anything and it's I mean it will it's like it's kind of like what's it called that fucking shit Bruce Willis movie uh, surrogates That's, it's how all of this stuff's going to end up although surrogates are, are, some parts are cool because I mean I'd like to do dangerous shit but not me because yeah. that that I don't want to die yet. Like, well, so they have this thing on the International Space Station that they don't really talk about, but it is up there. It's called they have a something called a telepresence robot, and there are because NASA hasn't really released much information about it. It seems suggestive of the fact that it's not like someone looking at a screen and operating joysticks. It's like it's all like a neural yeah it's all going on like neural Ah. net wise and that they're actually um there are there are not robots but like robotic arms and things that you can literally just like plug into and start moving on from earth now i don't know whether or not that's that's true or not well but it is the rumor that's going around and because nasa are so fucking sketchy about all of the stuff on the everything yeah yeah well the last space shuttle uh mission that went to um that the u.s uh did it wasn't the last one it was the it was a spatial 233 or something like that second to last one that they did they took up this thing called the um uh the antimatter spectrometer i can't remember the exact name of it but essentially it's this it's this spectrometer chemical spectrometer that can visualize the dark matter and visualize the anti-universe and you would imagine that that thing existing and that being up there would be like the focus of everything like you you would imagine that when they go to the international space station all they do is go and say hey look at what we're looking at in the fucking like (laughs) the anti-meta spectrometer like holy shit what is all this but they don't really publicize it they don't really talk about it you can find it if you go look for it looking for it like press releases and things like this but it's it's all you know 
the stuff they do in the space station is just look at me doing a look at me doing a, a, a somersault and it's like there's nothing about it like it's so fucking boring it, it is weird isn't it like they'll give you this um, they, they give you a a camera down to earth so you can see the earth that's about it until they switch it off when something flies past yeah that's and then they'll, they'll show you a, they'll show you a spacewalk every now and then mm-hmm. but yeah you don't really see a lot of the it's almost sorry what? I forgot what I was going to say you, you just don't really see a lot of the well, the science going on yeah. like they don't really like that's the shit people want to see like yeah. show me you doing stuff don't I mean spacewalks are cool I'd love to do one in a surrogate but <laughs> or a telepresence robot yeah yeah that'd be even cooler but yeah, they don't show you like just equipment readings they don't show you what they're doing explaining why they're doing it like what are you doing up there why are you just sat in the space station orbiting the earth at like 17,000 kilometers an hour but like not showing us what you're doing like I mean again it is a public I mean alright NASA is under the auspices of the DOD it isn't actually a a, a public um, organization as people think it is I mean that's one of the big problems with NASA obviously if you've looked into all like the Brookings report and stuff like that I mean it was all deep it was all classified because uh, they didn't want and they didn't want even their own internal opinions about what was going on getting out so it's for those not in the know, aliens. That's what's going on. Yeah, well, again, I mean... Or the Demiurge, one of those. Well, <laughs> I mean, might be both. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Might be, both might be the same thing. It's weird. But it is like... Um, it's almost... It's the same with archaeology to a certain extent. It's almost as if it's purposefully... Um, making people switch off to it. It's almost like it's so stultifyingly boring. Like, well, like what I was saying earlier on about about wanting to study Chris Dunn and, and piezoelectricity in the in limestone in the pyramids. Like, why would that not be available? It's like they're trying to attract a certain crowd of people and scare away another. Yeah. Like they want the curious to go the other way. Yeah. While they um, they just study already written texts by people who were curious, but didn't have the means to find the full answer at the time it's like how people like um use carbon dating for instance mm. it's flawed we, we we don't have any actual physical proof of how old those pyramids are it's like taking a wild guess and going yeah okay this is how we've set our parameter this is how we this is our baseline and it's well what was if it's wrong mm-hmm. and it's like well it's not wrong is it and it's so obvious as well like when you when you genuinely think about the fact that there are people, there are archaeologists who will work their entire life digging on the Giza plateau if they can, if they're lucky enough to get the uh, clearance to do so, and they'll go and find these copper tools, and they'll say this diorite statue that's perfectly carved into into symmetry. Some of the stuff that Brian Forrester and Chris Dunn have shown in terms of the machining that's going on on the Giza plateau and how a lot of it looks like it could only really be done through 3D printing and stuff and and, and so you'll go to these archaeologists and you'll say okay so you've dug in the ground and you've found this copper tool and you now say because you've found this copper tool right in front of this statue that that statue was cut by that copper tool but go and make a copper tool and try and cut diorite with it 
You can't, it's impossible. Diorite can only be cut by either diorite or a diamond blade, which means that whoever made that statue and carved it to within perfect, like impossible proportions that we couldn't do without laser machining today, they didn't use a copper tool to do it. So they're looking at the, at the evidence in the wrong way because they're not looking at the stuff itself as the evidence. Like the evidence that there's high technology involved on the Giza Plateau are the pyramids themselves because they couldn't have been built without that kind of technology. So it doesn't matter what you find around, you know, if you find a copper chisel, it's not gonna explain. There's no way you could take that to a stonemason and say, hey, I'm, uh, if you had two million slaves and you gave them all copper chisels and took them into this uh, limestone limestone quarry, could they make all of these blocks? And the stonemason would just be like, no, not a chance. And that's, it's the same with space. It's exactly the same. It's even with the theory, like the idea, like they now think artisans built the pyramids. Oh, well, like, yeah. they definitely but, did. Like, even then, like, the if, you, if your tools aren't up to shape, you're not getting yeah. far. Like, you can't, you just you cannot um firstly there was no i mean they say that the the pyramids were built 2500 bc which would put them in the fourth dynasty around khufu there was no slavery in khufu's day like they didn't have slaves slavery didn't really appear in the in egypt until around the 18th 19th dynasty um and that a lot of it was religious because you had this this monastic uh, sorry monotheistic religion coming into Egypt and taking over and the way that they took over was that they essentially brought foreign mercenary forces with them it's almost like monotheistic religions were bad yeah it is isn't it yeah yeah because <laughs> <laughs> wherever they show up it's the original new world order yeah um, well it's the same it is the same thing it's like and they're still kind of working towards the same agenda like it's they they want to be gods on earth this is why you you have the term vicar in in, in uh, Christianity because what they're telling you is that you have to have a vicarious relationship to God. You can't see God. You know, God is ineffable unless he, he might speak to you in your head or whatever, or you might think he is. But the only way that you can have a real relationship in, in terms of Catholicism or in terms of early Christianity, or not early Christianity, obviously, but in terms of the, the centralized Roman Christianity that, that came about, that was the point of it. It was purely to cut off altered states, different dimensions, and what people had previously called the gods. Um, and it's just been moving forward ever since. And we're now at a stage where all of the kind of transcendent, transhumanist things that that uh, these the elite have been hoping that they could do with technology are now here so that's this is why it's all coming out because they have to reveal their method in order in order for it to work because they, it won't work behind the scenes anymore like going back to egypt you even got like i think it's the temple of hathor yes and there's a flower of life and it's almost like laser etched yes. on i think it's mm -hmm. the temple of hathor yeah it's i'd a, have to check but, it is. and it's like you're oh, no, telling sorry, me no hang on no it's not it's the uh Ah, oh, my mind's just gone blank. Um, Should I Google this? I'll Google this. Yeah, you Google it. See who gets it first. So I can remember it off Google. Google gets it first. The Assyrian 
is where it is. I mean, can't even type in fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so the thing about the Assyrian, it's it's fucking incredible because it wasn't known about for years and years and years, and you had this, the Temple of Hathor, and then to the side of that temple, the Assyrian is like about twelve foot down in the ground. It had to be excavated up out of you know, and still there are even. They don't really know how far down it goes because a lot of the the bottom level of it is flooded. But that is a megalithic building. It's completely. It's built in a completely different. It's a, a, like megalithic style than the, the majority of the the rest of the building in Egypt. It seems to be a lot. The blocks are a lot bigger, and it seems to be a lot earlier. So, if there's water erosion in Egypt, yes, and we believe that it was green green once, yeah. So that basically means the sand in the Sahara and Egypt would be like seabed. And below the seabed, there's now a hidden... It, it would explain the water damage on the Sphinx. It means a lot of it would be buried in the sand somewhere. Like, well... Like Ubar and... Well, yeah, Ubar. I mean, the sand's now yeah. drift, obviously. Well, that's the thing about Ubar, isn't it? Is that the idea about Ubar is that you can only see it at certain times because there's, because it literally just gets covered over by the dunes. And then every now... I mean, that's that's the thing about Ranul Fiennes, <laughs> the Atlantis of the Sands, is that he, he went looking for it. He spoke to all of these Bedouins who said that it was there and he never found it he just found artifacts that could have possibly been part of this civilization and then 30 40 years later when they were flying uh, satellites over he saw the satellite imagery of it and people well there was just this one point when the satellite went over the shifting sands were at the right level and they were like holy shit there's a there's like an ancient I'm so ruined glad city. he got to see it though like yeah it would have yeah, been sad if he died and never got to see it i know yeah <laughs> shame his son's such a piece of shit but anyway actually no Joseph Fiennes alright it's it was the one who played it was Randolph Fiennes who played uh, Voldemort wasn't it yeah wait they were like it yeah oh wow Randolph Fiennes sorry Rafe Fiennes is Randolph Fiennes that's grandson I assume or something like that might even be son hang on I'm gonna I'm gonna google that deep state (laughs) well this is the thing I mean you know a lot of it is you this is why you see a lot of the same families uh like you know look at someone like richard attenborough like everybody thinks that dude's just this lovely cuddly old granddad and you know he's a, he's a massive eugenicist if you go and start looking at planet earth and things like this he he, he starts has no one seen jurassic park like <laughs> and who was in jurassic park richard attenborough <laughs> his brother playing god exactly and they're both Knights of the Realm, so it's like it's not. A, I mean, how do you how do you be on television for ninety years, like or whatever, however long it's been, 60, 60 70 years? Like David Attenborough is literally the the one of the original kind of like um, people who the way that they want to create neo feudalism is by reintroducing artificial scarcity because they don't like the fact that like this is what all of this really boils down to it boils down to the idea that there are people who want to be above other people there are people who fight for status and the people who want to control things and they don't like the fact that now we're at seven billion people in the population and we have all of these open source technologies and all of this open information and we can mingle with them yeah well we can't it's not it's even worse we could take down their hegemony hegemony without even trying 
we could just if things keep going as they're going now we're going to evolve out of the idea of there being a a money delete that controls everything because they're like look at crypto and stuff like this their ability to control markets and their even even now their ability to control money production so the wall street bets when they um yeah, took yeah. down that well this is again this is what and that's why stuff like that's really good when it happens because it's a demonstration of how fragile all of this con this constructed house of cards that they have actually is because all it takes is for something like crypto to come along and all of a sudden money production is taken out of the hands of the elite and when you have and like Rothschild said give me control of a nation's money and I don't care who prints their laws so if you take that out of their their uh, control then within three four generations you have a situation where their power not only is their power and their wealth insignificant because it's not above anyone else's ability to gain wealth anymore but it's being dismantled purely because of the what's emerging in its place and so what's happening now this is what the greece the great reset and current covid and the lockdowns is all about what's happening now is that they're trying to cut that off at the past before it happens and so the idea it, that you can keep money in your own personal wallet mm-hmm. that's encrypted and not in their vaults yeah terrifies them absolutely if the banks are scared of it it's probably good for us exactly 100 percent. and if the banks are coming together to fund something it's probably bad for us and that's usually a good rule of thumb with all of this guy i mean crypto is kind of like it's the stake through the heart to the old templar banking method i am no longer promising to pay you i am paying you yeah this is it and and all of the fundamentally all the arguments against it are are irrelevant because the monetary system that we have now isn't like airtight it's not you know it's not real it's not a it's it's a it's 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 double booking as a as an as a as a way of creating wealth out of nothing it's flash paper it's it's there but it's it's a tiny flame and it's fucked in the end when it boils down to it like there was a guy called Bill Still who made this documentary um, called The Money Masters, how central banking took over, took over the world. One of the things he talked about was the tally stick system and how um, some of the kings got out from underneath the Vatican simply by stopping taking um, coin from, you know, that was, that was produced by them. And because they didn't have their ability to, to produce their own coin, they would just use sticks and you look at you know all it would just be notches on a stick and you would you would like varnish it and it would be a, oh i've seen this yeah. yeah yeah but it's it proves this notion that money is just whatever ever you want it, want it to be it's not a it shouldn't be a store of wealth it should just be a, a lubrication in the market that's all it's really there for so you can have one of two situations either you have a situation where you have a completely controlled and closed money system uh, which kind of avoids corruption by being closed or you just let everyone fucking let rip and use whatever they want as trade and that's the goats I, yeah I, yeah i thought you did goats again again i mean it's it's less than even having a monetary system you just go back to barter because in the end value is i mean it's not entirely sub- subjective but it's subjective to enough of a degree that you know you can if, if, as long as you can create value 
then you don't necessarily need to have money re like represent it. You can just trade the value. I mean, we life. we've got like the entire Siberian wastelands. I oh mean, fuck yeah! Bezos could put his goats there. I <laughs> said so he'll have them on Mars within like three years, man. Aye. Mars goats, and then in a hundred years we'll have to fight off the invasion of the Mars goats with Gundam wings. <laughs> oh fucking hell! Like that one in Tokyo. Do you reckon that thing's real? I reckon it is. I, I reckon, reckon it is. I reckon. I reckon the, the Japanese. It just, just would there. not surprise me. That's why China hasn't attacked it. Yeah, they, yeah. they just sat there watching his Gundam wing. That and they know <laughs> that they've got Godzilla behind them, so they're all right. Like Godzilla will fight off the Chinese. Yeah. Reckon. It'll be like this thunderous like crack in like bikini atoll or something and then yeah. the earth opens up. <laughs> One of those what are those um aquatic Oh, what are they called now? Iguanas. They they're pretty Godzilla looking. Never seen them. Oh, actually I think that's what Godzilla was. What aquatic <laughs> iguana? Yeah, I think yeah he was. Yeah. I think that was the story, wasn't it? But the original one was that he was just uh although I am specifically thinking of the 2000, 99, 2000 Godzilla, which oh. is the shit one. Oh yeah, I watched that again recently, and it's. Does it hold up? In areas, yeah. <sighs> in areas, some it's areas. Not bad like... as long as you don't see it as a Godzilla movie. Yeah. It's, it's... just because it's just not Godzilla. It looks like Godzilla. They should have Godzilla show up and beat the fuck out of that one. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. So it's the same universe, yeah. but it wasn't the real <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> I haven't seen the new ones recently. They're really good, really, really. It gets it's hugely into Hollow Earth and uh, all of this. Yeah, so Godzilla's like the king of Hollow Earth. Oh, I hope fucking... Admiral Bird shows up. <laughs> Seriously, you, I like you should watch them. It's Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and I think there's another one as well that came out just after. Oh, because that's Skull Island. That's mm -hmm. the same universe, isn't it? Yes, but it is. It's all like it gets really deep into Hollow Earth mythology i 100 percent believe in hollow earth yeah yeah 100 percent. i don't, know, I don't I mean, know if it's like the inverse of like earth but i reckon there's caverns underground yeah yeah big 100%. enough like i mean we've had these anomalies they've recently shown there's anomalies mm -hmm. in the planet these huge cavernous areas that are just open so and I mean, they're bigger would... than continents so you could have an entire civilization down there you could be yeah. mole men for all we know living underground or I know, like reptiles, you know, living on the ground. Well, that was always the that was always the millions of years of evolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was always the contention for for the idea that that there might be a, a what's it called a an intelligent reptoid species underground. Like it, even when you go back to Jules Verne, the Nazis were really really interested in the Hollow Earth as well. There's some really interesting pictures I that just, they drew. Oh my God! Well, and they thought the inner Earth was a Gartha. This is why they actually went to Tibet because they were they they the were tunnel, looking yeah they were the looking Dalai Lama knows only the Dalai Lama knows apparently. of the tunnel to Agartha. Apparently, this is this is the there was a guy called um, Nicholas Rurik. Uh, he's fucking fascinating. He was like one of these masons that was um, a, like an explorer in the 19th century. But he seemed I think he was a pretty decent mason. He doesn't seem to be on the bad side of things. But he did the same thing. He wrote all of these books about just he he. Just went went to Tibet, started looking in the, started asking all the ashrams and started asking all of the yogis whether or not 
they knew where all the tunnels to Agatha were and this is where he was introduced to the concept uh, that Jesus had gone to India because there were all of these ascended masters like Saisa yeah yeah well there were all of these ascended masters uh, that had been collected together in like the pictures over the generations and stuff and there was just this one like kind of Middle Eastern Middle Eastern whitish guy looking and they were like who is this and I think they called him Yeshua or something like that but they were like oh yeah this was an ascended master who came from uh, the came from the West, and it's like, yeah, it's, there's now I've I've got a book at, at home. It's called Jesus Lived in India, and it's actually it's quite a quite a convincing argument that after, like Reiki healers, yeah. Well, I mean, it's because it really this is what he was doing. Like, it's it's just the Western kind of version of Eastern mysticism, and it's why when you start looking into Gnosticism and you start looking into people like the Essenes who Jesus supposedly was an Essene and supposedly came from this highly um, esoteric kind of version of Christianity and this is why the, the you know the um, when you start reading just the words of Jesus in the Bible it tells a very different religion to what's spoken to how they kind of frame it in the New Testament and stuff like this you know he's taught he's he's kind of doing like magic he's doing magi stuff <laughs> he's doing all of these tricks supposedly and he's healing people and telling people that you don't need a church you don't need to form a religion around anything your religion your relationship is god is personal you know like my god like says my you are part of him you're yeah exactly literally, like going like going into consciousness like the spark inside mm-hmm. of you that is god yeah well it's this is not kind this of... yahweh who's this not is... this fallen like yeah. if you go into Gnosticism you've got this Demiurge who mm-hmm. was cast out by Sophia after yeah. she birthed him by accident mm-hmm. and when his eyes opened he proclaims I am God yeah. because I see none before me and he's the one you know from the Old Testament that terrorizes us basically the idea is I believe they believe Sophia is the reason Jesus came to us yeah well it would be considered to be a um there's, there's this thing that they, they call Christ consciousness so it would be Jesus would be considered an aspect of Sophia like a like a, a manifested aspect on earth well, it's like an avatar like yes. pitched in yeah. sort of thing yeah. and the belief is that you know these avatars reappear um, kind of I mean, yeah, you, you know, there are people who say they're confident. There's always somebody who says that they're the, they're the reincarnation really? of yeah. the avatar and stuff. But there are people, obviously, who come forward with like quite interesting information and quite high-level spiritual knowledge without really kind of going through the process to attain it. So whether or not that stuff's... Re- but it is very interesting that this is the reason why a lot of Protestants, and even today, a lot of American Protestants will call the Catholic Church the Antichrist, because it really is. When you look at the even the idea that the Catholic Church exists is Antichrist. It's anti. It's it's so anti doesn't mean straight away so far. Yeah, from, exactly. From the teachings you've and created, the ideas, you've created a church. The, anti- and the Antichrist yeah. consciousness. Exactly. Yeah, you've, ruined it for yourself absolutely and so you have this you have this entire religion in terms of at least the roman version of christianity uh where the central figure that the religion is built on says don't have a church uh you know um do your inner work and work on your own 
personal spiritual development and your own relationship with whatever you consider to be the god to be and then you have this church that's built around it that says yeah he said that but you know we've spoken to god and like we speak to him regularly so if you want to speak to god like yeah we understand jesus said don't have a church but we are you know we speak to god so you kind of want to come and speak to us then and it's so it's a very like the word anti doesn't mean like the opposite of it means in place of so when someone says someone is the antichrist it doesn't mean that they're the, the like the devil and that they're the opposite of everything that christ taught what it means is that they have put themselves in the place of the teachings of the christ and that's literally what the the catholic church has done so this is why they this is why the dead sea scrolls exist because the essenes and the people who the original christian cults who were polytheistic essentially you know they they believed in the idea that the elohim was a group of gods that yahweh came from and elohim in hebrew is a plural anyway so every time the old testament refers to the elohim it's not referring to god it's referring to the gods so even in its first like in its first few verses the bible says we're a pantheistic document by saying the gods so um and you get into like Enlil and Enki yeah yeah well again I mean the Anunnaki and the Elohim go hand in hand in a way I mean this is the thing it's it's even them I mean they're supposed to be because you it's like I was saying about the the flood myth earlier on in the idea that um, all of these ancient religions like all of the Greek tradition the uh, Egyptian tradition all this kind of stuff on onto the western canon like it's all built on this idea that there were the gods and then the gods interacted with human beings in some way. Either they genetically engineered them or they uh, interbred with them because they were capable of birthing. And then that created this race of giants or this race of super beings and you know people like Gilgamesh who were half god, half human and all this. And then you have the titans in Greek mythology that were kind of the same thing and sorry the cyclope uh, the cyclopeans and all this and then in the irish mythology you have um like the tuatha de Danann and the the people who supposedly invaded from the west and all this kind of it's, it all speaks about this polity polytheistic tradition so i was saying it's kind of like the noah thing that i was saying earlier on where if you take all of these different mythologies and you take the timeline that we've been given in terms of when these civilizations existed then it kind of just seems like all of this just appeared like randomly separately out of nowhere that these none of these civilizations really ever truly interacted and kind of you know built religions upon one another they were all but the truth of the matter is is that when they're all telling the same story it's fundamentally and essentially it's like some of there are some differences and stuff then all that's really changing is the names and the, the alleged dates when this happened like you know like the egyptians say the zet tepi when they lived on earth with gods was like thirty-five thousand years ago or something like that well the, the idea of giants alone like it's yeah. in every single mythology mm. i mean i think odin was the, yeah. also the son of a giant yeah. his mother was a giant uh, saint christopher uh was supposed to be a giant there's a lot of a lot of the um the greek gods yeah the titans there's a um, tartarus 
Well, yeah, and again, Tartarus. The you start getting into the to the Tartary idea, you know, because there's there's it's kind of weird when you start the giant thing. Uh, is is fascinating because it com it was a really popular esoteric subject around the turn of the 20th century but it dropped off the radar and the reason it dropped off the radar was because of the smithsonian institute um there are so there's a guy called jim vieira and he he did one of these discovery channel kind of programs about giants and the discovery channel documentary he did was pretty weak but when you go and listen to him actually lecture and you read his books he's talking about like when the founding fathers came over to um, uh, America and they were meeting with a lot of the tribes and they were having peaceful meetings, like the tribes would go and show them uh, the bones of like the, the red-headed 13-foot giants that had been living <laughs> on the Great Plains and that a lot of the, uh, the Hopi and um, oh, there's another, uh, I think it might have been the Cherokee, it'll come to me, but they have these stories about how yeah it was only a couple of hundred years ago when we had to there's a place called lovelock cave in nevada and the story is that the there were these cannibal giants that, that were living in america and that they were attacking the tribes and so the tribes went and uh, they were living in this cave called lovelock cave and these tribes went up and like basically bouldered up the front of the cave and then stuffed it with straw and set it all on fire and killed these giants that were inside so um like i don't know a hundred years later the uh the miners were mining guano like bat dung out of this cave and they supposedly found like these massive skulls and these massive like the, they still had their red hair on them and all this kind of stuff huge great big femur bones and all this kind of stuff and it was reported in the local papers and there was a local archaeologist who came along and like looked at all of the stuff and confirmed all of the find and then it went to the smithsonian institute and nothing happened and then they started asking the smithsonian institute where the bones had gone and the smithsonian institute did a fidel castro and the simpsons and we're like what bones we're we talking about we've never seen any bones giants what the fuck are you talking about and if you go and read someone like Jim Vieira's books, for example, you will find that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of this happening. Um, when they were first um, digging into the mounds, like there's this thing in America called the mound builder culture, and on a lot of the Native American reserves, there are these huge earthworks that are um, like representation pictographs of um, like animals and tribal insignias and stuff like this. And when there's this great big thing in the early 20th century, like eight, late 19th, early 20th century, where they were going and digging into these mounds, every time they found that it was actually like a burial mound for a gigantic person. And then the Reservations Act was passed, and now you can't, can't, you can't go and excavate any of the mounds because they're all on native land. And it's sacred land to them because they consider themselves to be like the the antecedents, sorry, the descendants of these like giant races. Um, so it might not even have been that long ago that like that kind of like literally in the last maybe three four hundred years or so, there were still populations of 12, 13 foot people living on the planet, and the entire 
Bible and the the Popol Vuh, which is the book of uh, Mesopotamian, um, sorry, Mesoamerican mythology, and the Babylonian texts and the Greek mythology is all written about this. They don't, and mythology, the word, doesn't mean like, a, doesn't have the connotation that we put on it today. It actually means like stories held true by kings and priests. So this is literally what they what was taught as history. It wasn't taught as like religious mythos. It wasn't taught as a philosophical idea. It was just taught as this shit happened. Like we used to fucking have, we had to fight off the giants. And like the giants were the descendants of these, this like godlike race who had this amazing technology and lived in this place called Atlantis and blah, blah, blah. Like so the story goes, but it's, it's when you actually look at the thread, the Joseph Campbell, is a guy who wrote this, wrote a lot about what he called the monomyth and the idea that there really is only one myth in the world and that all of these different kind of religious like stories, of it. yeah, it's just like, different it's like, variations. And he's very right about that. It's like artists' interpretations. It's yeah. like it's like you have a film based on a book and they yeah. make three films and each one's a reboot. It's a completely different telling of the same story. Yeah. It's like the archetypes are always the same. This is the thing that the, the they have this thing called the hero's journey, which is where they kind of you know they descend into into a, a, a negative situation and find the courage and the strength to ascend back out of it. And Joseph Campbell wrote this book called The Hero's Journey, and a lot if you go and speak to people like George Lucas about Star Wars, he will straight up one hundred percent say Star Wars is literally just a a uh, my interpretation of Joseph Campbell's monomyth through the hero's journey, like Luke Skywalker and like the the fight against the father, and it's like it's a it's these are all archetypes that we really relate to because these are the these are literally the stories that we've been told over campfires like a thousand years ago, but they're we modernised them and you know I mean we haven't even modernised them to that much of an extent. Thor is still like a gigantic person Thor and Loki and the, the the Norse gods and the Norse mythology is still massively here yeah. like it's not not just in the fact that it's, it's on the rise if yeah. anything like paganism is rising it's... and where did that rise come from it came from Marvel it came from the fact that you have now entire generations of people who've grown up on Marvel and DC and all again it's all the, these people are people like Jack Kirby specifically he was way into highly this. initiated face on Mars before yeah. the actual again picture. because he was a highly highly initiated man he he knew what he was talking about and he understood what the point of comic books were it was they were kind of like subliminal messages yeah the new age well they like, started as start like Superman started as a as a like a war propaganda comic um like DC comics and then the, he became an L yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, the headquarters for DC Comics was located at 666 Fifth Avenue before it moved to 1700 Broadway. So in the 90s it moved. But originally, their original office was 666 Fifth Avenue. So, uh, as you can tell, they are, again, like Batman and stuff like that. When you look at the subliminal messaging of Batman... In Court of Owls alone. Well, even before that, right? If you go to... Uh, the 60s TV series. In episode 33 of the 60s TV series, they go up to a picture of um, one of uh, Bruce Wayne's ancestors, like his grandfather or great-grandfather, 
and Aunt Harriet comes up and goes, Oh, this is such and such Wayne. He, he was the founder of the Skull and Bones Society. So when you think about what's Batman? Well, Batman's like an angry billionaire who has the ability to like just act out all his fantasies. And he doesn't really go after like white collar like corruption and crime and stuff like that. Because again, like he went, he goes after the what is it, the Marconi mafia family yeah. at first, and he takes them down. And then the problem that you have after that is like the vacuum of power problem. And so this is where all of that stuff comes from. And it's kind of like a good allery for the idea that like just when somebody just decides right I'm going to go in and fucking sort this situation out they usually leave behind the situation that ends up being much much worse but again Batman wants that because that's the whole that's his whole like raison d'etre is that like he goes and kills the the, the it is for it. Yeah. yeah and so if it didn't exist he would just be Bruce Wayne and the reason he ever kills anyone is it's not because of his moral values it's because he knows if he kills them they won't be there next time yes exactly absolutely i mean that was the whole thing of like Ar the arkham games as well like when they was trying when there's a whole i'm sure i seem to remember there was a whole speech that the joker gives in the arkham games where it's about like yeah that's the reason the reason you don't kill me is because you put me in jail and then you sit there waiting for me to escape again because that's when you have the most fun and it's the same thing with um you could even say it's kind of worse with marvel because marvel built their entire um, like Marvel Cinematic Universe around Iron Man. What's Iron Man? He's just a billionaire fucking weapons dealer. Like, again, it's just this thing of like, oh, I've got the money. I've got the ability to be a fucking vigilante. I've got the contacts. I've got everything. So I'm Who in do Civil it. War also agrees to this whole like... Mm -hmm. Obviously, I was surprised that like... I mean, I suppose like Chris Evans himself it's quite a it's a bit of a fucking insufferable woke like Hollywood leftist but yeah I was quite surprised at how intricate the whole the whole civil war thing was and how far they went with the like Hydra is very clearly just the, the, the new Nazi, world order like yeah, <laughs> yeah, new world order it's, it's it's again it's almost too on the nose the fact that like the entire shield and the US government's been infiltrated by them yeah yeah. No one knows who they absolutely. are, and they have all of this technology that was like hidden and they were shadow using government. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and they have super soldiers and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it man. is really on the nose. Yeah. Like, but that's the thing is that also like, when you when it's this. when it's that on the nose, and when it's so popular, you know, it had the entire fucking Disney machine behind it by the end. Um, that's it works best then because that's when people won't take it as reality at all because if you really started having these if conversations with people it. yeah they would just say you're oh, just that's talking the plot about from captain america yeah, absolutely well there's that whole episode of uh did you ever watch stargate sg1 is this the one where they it's like film like a documentary yeah well no they have a tv show that's so the hot so stargate sg1 is the that was a TV series oh, that was like made after the, the fourth war. Yeah, it, it was made after the after the movie, and it was really really good. It's about ten seasons of it, and one of the later <clears throat> season episodes was called Wormhole Extreme, and it was about this TV show that was called Wormhole Extreme that was written by um, this guy who was like chat. That he, he had this weird like um, ability to channel, and so he was just like remote viewing what was happening with Stargate. And so they had to go and 
like um, speak to him because they were like, "Are you a spy? Like, how do you know what's going on with the, with the Stargate program? How are you making this this like TV program?" And he was like surprised that it was real, and they took him to the Stargate thing and showed him all around. And at the very end, they decided they were going to keep it. They were going to allow him to keep making the series because, firstly, it made the Air Force and the and the like uh, military look good. And secondly, nobody would believe it because anytime anybody said, hey, have you seen Stargate? Ooh. Do you know what a Stargate is? Everyone would just go, oh, dude, that's just Wormhole Extreme. Wait a second. What the remote viewing program the CIA used was called Project Stargate. Yeah, exactly. What? Oh, shit. Yeah. It comes all, it's all connected. And Stargate, the, the TV series, was the very first, I think it was the first TV series where it was actually filmed with the um, like the permission of the Air Force it was in Chinook, Cheyenne um, underground base. It was also funded by our mobile Yeah, 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 it was. Funding, yeah. yeah, 100%. That is so I'm, shit. I'm, I mean, again, my because of my fucking fascination with Egypt and all this kind of stuff, I kind of do believe that... I mean, I'm not necessarily saying the, the Egyptians had Stargates and stuff like that, but there's a, you know... The idea that they were able to kind of like transcendently travel in altered dimensions and stuff like this. The idea that they could, you know, they they were able to kind of remote view to an extent, like different places and stuff. It, th- this is why Stargate's there. With well, with what's been happening with you know the Pentagon recently. I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on anymore. It's it's everyone's throwing hands because you've got the cia sharing documents and remote viewing randomly out of nowhere yeah. like what what's this about mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah it, it, we're not saying it doesn't work it's just it wasn't reliable for spying yeah and then they're like you got the fbi saying oh yeah look at these ufo reports we've got and then you, you kind of sat there like what's going on it's like that- what is going on like then you've got fucking Tom DeLone saying yeah. someone told him there's a pyramid inside of Alaska somewhere between Nome oh, yeah. and yeah, a set of mountains yeah. that's apparently suppressing our mm-hmm. consciousness yeah, or conscious I, that that was something I hadn't really heard anything about until recently there's, a, there's just the, there's a guy called Freeman Fly uh, and he's like one of the OG conspiracy podcasters fucking amazing um, the Freeman Perspective is the show that he does and um just on his Facebook page, randomly, this dude, who I, I, I don't know who he is, but he started posting all this stuff consistently, like every day he'd start posting, explaining about how apparently, you know, all of the pyramids on the planet are there to kind of like set this vibration that traps us in 3D consciousness. Like a reality engine. Yeah, 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 very much so. And I don't know, I'm not giving it that much thought, I suppose, because I kind of, it's it's one of those things where I... I I just haven't, I haven't had my had time to wrap my head around what they're actually really trying. I, I understand the concept of it because David Icke said the same thing about the moon. Like David Icke believes that reality is being broadcast from the moon, and that it's specifically being like broadcast as a simulation to stop people from like reaching whatever higher levels of consciousness might See, be. about 10 years ago, I'd say that's absolutely nuts. Yeah, but yeah. after my little situation I had, <laughs> I'm now I'm like. Uh, okay like here I am 10 years later going yeah okay I I, I could believe that in a sense and 
Well, I think a lot of it is like... It's like a 1 out of 10 chance of yeah. believing in it. Like a percentage of it. You've just got... It's not even necessarily belief. It's just you've got to keep your mind open to the possibility that it yeah, could be. Yeah, my mind's open to it's that. It's like when you said earlier on that you're a hollow earther. Like, I would have said um, maybe five years ago. Especially because of the research that I've done into the like the real society and the Tula society and all the occult aspects of, of what Hitler and the Nazis were trying to do. Because the Nazi party really was and more of a religious cult than a political party. There's sub-maps to um, Hollow Earth. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. This is it. There's, and so I would have said 100%. Especially when you look at the evidence that the moon vibrated um, when they when they like crashed the, light, the orbiter back into it. Like, uh, like, a bell. like a bell for six hours so the idea that I would have said yeah five years ago that's what I believe but now um, and let me make this entirely clear I am not a flat earther but I've seen enough of the kind of legitimate questioning of models and the models that we've relied on for you know since kind of Galileo and stuff um, and I don't know like I genuinely don't know where we are and I think that's the thing it's like it's it's a difficult kind of thing to say because I even before the research in the resurgence in the flat earth topic came along a few years ago and I kind of think that's part of a big psyop as well but even before that I was always of the of the opinion that like the moon landings hadn't happened that we haven't really ever left low earth orbit and as you know as human beings and all of the iss and all of that kind of stuff it's all orbiting below the van allen radiation faults and stuff so i was always of the opinion that nasa were kind of full of shit and again when you understand who nasa are and, and how many if you look at a photo of the people in uh, houston who took the uh, Apollo 17 to the moon, you can literally just go like Nazi, 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 Nazi. <laughs> These are people who were all brought over as part of Project Paperclip, had their records wiped clean, and were basically basically lived the rest of their lives out as, as rocket scientists. So I always had this idea that, well, you can't really trust NASA. And, you know, all of their, up until 2015, we didn't actually have a, a picture of the earth that was one picture you know supposedly taken from outside of the earth where they just swung a satellite round or something and take a picture of it all of the globe earth pictures like the, the blue marble and stuff like that were all composite cgi's and if you looked close if you went to the wikileaks attributations and, uh, sorry the wikipedia attributations and stuff it, they would all admit that it's like this is just a this is a, a, a projection of of a composite map that we've created so <clears throat> I wasn't, yeah, I just never trusted anything coming out of NASA anyway. So when I started looking into like Eric Dubay and all of the, the flat earth stuff, and I just kind of, at first it, it was like a bit of a curiosity thing, but I like there's a lot of their shit that's, that's a lot of the way that they deconstruct the the, um, the mathematical models that we rely on to, to say that <clears throat> we understand what the earth is, aren't, don't really hold up to much scrutiny and they could also describe other models that are you know that, that are possible at the same time like supposedly the azimuthal equidistant model so i'm now at the point where i just won't commit like i i won't i i don't I don't know if we live on a flat plane i don't know if we live on a globe i don't know if we live on a hollow sphere like no fucking idea 
they're kind of all out Are there. Are we at the even moment. here? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, you you're know, gonna wake up one day and you're gonna find out you're just this big, like you're like a chunk of like a yeah. fungal mass somewhere, and well, you've been simulating your entire reality through dream states. Even, I mean, even if it was like an AI thing as well. I mean, we could have been taken over by AI, by AI generations ago. Or like... starfish. <laughs> have you seen a new Suicide Squad? No, I, I've seen I've seen a picture of it. I haven't actually seen the whole thing yet. I do want to watch that. Like... Everyone's just sat around zombified, <laughs> and we're just playing our own like little world inside our own heads. I mean, this is the see. That's the weird thing as well about. That's actually a really terrifying concept. It's the it's the weird thing about something like flat Earth because right now, if you want to be a reductionist scientific materialist and say, all right, the only thing we can so far prove because I'm going to trust what NASA say, I'm going to trust the calculations, I'm going to trust a lot of this kind of esoteric uh, theoretical physics and theoretical mathematics that supports all of this stuff. Take that all at face value and say, right, the Earth is what you think it is. So then what happens if we're living in a simulation? So then what happens if like simulation theory is real? Like, then it wouldn't matter what the... <laughs> do you know what I mean? It wouldn't matter what the shape of the planet was. And it could both be a globe and... A, uh, a flat plane at the same time like it might look like a globe because of a lensing thing of when you get so far away from it it kind of looks like it curves back on itself you know but it's these are all possibilities within simulation theory and again five years ago if you somebody had come along and said like i i like Mal uh, michael talbot and the holographic universe and that's kind of a version of of simulation theory because what he's saying is when you look at the double slit experiment um, a lot. What a lot of people miss about that is that yes, it does say that everything is both particle and wave four at the same time. But what it also says is that when you look at um, how the waveform patterns uh, interact, um, they look a lot like holography. And so, you know, when you shine a laser through a real hologram, you will get, um, you know, a basically a light projection of it. Uh, and if you send start cutting the hologram down every time you shine the light through it all you'll get is a smaller version of the same full image so it all so the entirety of the information of the image is captured in one fraction of the image and if this is how the universe works which is kind of how it appears to work and when we look at things like the double slit experiment then multiple things could be correct at the same time depending conscious observer yes and it's, depending on where you are i saw an interesting thought experiment it was about the vikings coming to is it linden linden yeah what's yeah. the, what the monastery called i think it is isn't it called linden monastery somewhere like that, yeah but yes yeah, so the idea is like you have 10 vikings showing up and they talk about the white walls of the monastery a year later a hundred vikings end up going but they come back telling the stories of the black walls of the monastery who's right yeah. You never get to go there. Who's right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. like, you know, this is it. Um, well, this if is If a tree it, falls I mean, in the woods. This is where this whole Socratic idea of the only advance in knowledge you ever truly make is how little you know. And you kind of have to be able to... This is one of the good things about things like psychedelics and things like that, is that you, you have to be able to... Um, hold opposing opinions at the same time and not attach yourself to any one belief so that if that belief gets 
suddenly taken out or disproved that you're you know that it's going to affect you on a psychological or a conscious level because I, you have such attachment to it i have a theory about uaps and ufos mm. so i've noticed whenever i see them there's no one ever around awake to see them yeah almost like as if if they're no longer conscious my consciousness is the one that's kind of echoing the most or perhaps everyone else around me believes that they could see a ufo one day so you, you get this almost like a if you have like 30 people who believe they could see this and one person who doesn't the 30 would overwhelm and <clears throat> almost project whatever they would want to see yeah. in the sky the idea of like maybe you let's see jump back 2000 years and people believe in magic and mysticism and stuff like that and if everyone believes in mysticism then it could be you know maybe they're projecting their yeah, reality yeah. but now the more scientific you get the less in touch with this idea that you could do mysticism well, this is this is what this is actually exactly what, ritual um, there's a guy called uh, Rudolf Steiner and he created the Waldorf schools and he was a really really kind of uh, influential esotericist at the turn of the century at the turn of last century and he was one of these guys who um, fully 100% kind of immersed himself in the esoteric and genuinely believed that like um, whether it was by design or not all of the kind of centralised schooling systems and things and even things like centralised medicine and pharmacratic kind of uh, stuff we it was all contributing towards kind of cutting off any kind of uh, connection to like any kind of transcendent or any multi-dimensional information around us that we might once have been able to being groomed for another thought pattern yeah yeah Yeah. almost as if you're being turned into a machine Uh, like every they you know as if like the controlling kind of uh class want everybody to literally think the same because we if we're in a situation where we literally do create our own reality and all esoteric occult traditions end up at that idea and you know they even like the 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 more academic academic side of it like rudolf steiner it still goes towards this idea that like you know we do have these abilities and these other senses and these other things that we can tap in into in terms of like being able to perceive other information around us that we don't normally perceive and that if you are able to kind of dedicate your life to those certain traditions like the yogis and stuff like this or there's the monastic tradition in christianity or um there's even like the rosicrucian tradition within masonry um it all kind of ends with this notion that things like remote viewing are fucking milk toast to what is actually what human beings are capable of and what we've been able to tap into into the past but we've kind of entered into what the what the the hindus and the um, the Indian mystics would call like, like a dark age and a, like a Kali Yuga um, and we're replacing so if you think about something like telepathy like Hermes Tramagustes like speaks yeah. of this like yeah. the idea that eventually we'd lose but when Egypt crumbles and it fades into the idea that we, when was it when the pyramid stands as a as an image of our faith but not understood and when men are too interested in the sciences and the yeah. measurements instead of the, the actual thought process itself 
well, this is a dark the, age. This is what people what like people like Niels Bohr and and and, and Bohm and people like this is or Mandelbrot people like that who were the early kind of quantum physicists. <clears throat> this is the reason why they kind of came up with quantum physics or discovered it was because these were people who understood that they were still mystical and transcendent and um, kind of unanswerable scientific questions and, it, and if you want to be a, a Newtonian reductionist scientific materialist where you basically say look the only things that I'm going to accept are real and the only reality I'm going to accept is that which I can weigh and measure uh, and all this kind of stuff so I'm going to I'm going to ignore anything that cannot be isolated in a laboratory well you're you're firstly you're creating a, a ultimately ridiculously narrow scientism because you're not you know you're you're cutting out uh, experiences that lots of people have and we you know we're not in a position where we can actually say what reality is so we can't discount dreams we can't discount near-death experiences we can't discount altered states of reality these are things that have to be put back into the science that we've that we've like created there should be a duality like there should be mm. like the pillars the pillars are like a, a foundation is you need these two pillars you need, yeah yeah you can have measurements but you also don't forget the other side yeah. you know i mean and funnily enough that's kind of what masonry is built on masonry you have the two different uh, versions of masonry you have scottish right freemasonry which is known as speculative masonry and it deals very much with the esoteric side of like the mystery school side of stuff and on the other side you have the york right of freemasonry which tends to be more business connections networking and actual like real world monetary generation and stuff like this so even they this is like the two pillars of of, of um masonry are the idea of there is the spiritual and there is the um the material and the, the job of the mason is to kind of purify their thought until the point at which it's one and the same and there's no distinction between the two anymore because in reality there is no distinction between them like there is no science that isn't kind of esoteric and there's no esoterica that isn't science on some level like it's all up for debate and it's and this is it's magic until you understand it yeah exactly and all magic is just yeah uh, uh, all technology is seen as magic unless it's understood you know so this is how it's been very easy for the last kind of thousand years or so where you just have this kind of one group of people who are in on the idea that you can do things like behavioral psychology and crowd control and you can you can manipulate people into into following your will and you can exert your will over them by you know um, entrancing them with certain like notions and hand movements and tones of voice and even singing and stuff like this has this kind of effect where it can it can cause people to enter trance states and on those in those trance states you can kind of manipulate those people and so that's been how the world's been for like the last thousand years and now for whatever reason a lot of this stuff's being exposed i think a lot of it is just because like humanity just figures this shit out like it doesn't matter how much you try and like a like, rat in a cage eventually yeah, rises in a cage exactly and it doesn't matter how how much like if you give us technology and say to us well you can use this piece of technology to speak to someone over the other side of the world 
uh, eventually the human being is going to realize so many generations of evolution down the path that they don't need the phone to do that they can just do it they can just remote view and be where they want to be like you were just saying there about the idea of what a ufo might be right one of the ideas i always had was that when you meditate and you get into the really high level meditation where you can supposedly do like body experiences and astral projection you create what's called a light body like a macabre yeah so well just yes a macabre yes yeah yeah well, so what if UFOs were just people's macabres? And they, yeah. So when you, if say, when you see a UFO in the sky, what you're seeing is someone who's having a light body astral projection experience and who's actually projected themselves into somewhere in this reality where they're remote viewing. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting idea. You know? That's kind of what I always, I, I, I wouldn't Especially say it's what I always thought, but when I started, when I learned about the idea of like light body meditation and stuff and out of astral projection, out of body experiences and stuff, and, I, and they, they always said, yeah, well, you create like this spinning light thing around you and then you can put yourself in a situation where you're, you know, you're, you're having an out of body experiencing and looking at the, at the Eiffel Tower and on the ground at the Eiffel Tower, people see a light in the sky and think, fucking hell, it's a UFO. But it's not. It's like it's somebody's interesting. Like the other day when the last time we did this, um, as I was going to sleep that night, I was I was like, oh, I'll do my little meditation as I usually do, and it's usually about a twenty-minute meditation. And like halfway through it, I kind of it, it, it. Have you ever meditated and like seen like you see like you see like the the waves? It's like matrix patterns. It's like your light. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Kind of like the geometric stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then there were shapes, and then the mm. shapes started moving, and they started twisting, and it looked like a tunnel, like, yeah. like, like a little tunnel. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I was doing my best not to think. I was trying to keep a clear mind. I'm not. And eventually, it looks like I was looking through the bottom of like a dirty pint glass, like just like using like like a lens, and I could hear water. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. And in front of me, there were like people walking in, like these, like they look. I can only describe them as like woolen caminos, but they had elongated heads, and they were wearing these headdresses, like a veil that came down the back. They had no eyebrows, and they had very, very thin eyes. I'm gonna show you something. They had very, and they, and they had like, <clears throat> they had very, I don't know, kind of like, I. I don't, I'd say uncanny valley lips. They didn't look proper. They shouldn't. Yeah, they didn't look right to me. And it was like a very jungly environment. I could, like, I could kind of like, I could see and hear like the birds and like the weird, you know, the jungle atmosphere. You'd, you'd, you'd recognise. It's funny that like um, a lot of people who speak to me about this stuff say that they have like Aztec kind of imagery. And when they speak, when they talk about the idea of like communing with god beings or something a lot of it seems to come across as aztec or, or well, it was like Saturn volcanic or... rock and there was like fountains dropping mm. I, I i describe it like the hanging gardens of babylon but somewhere in south america that's how i, I mean, describe that... it and it was weird and, I, and then like there were people walking about doing their bits and bobs but i noticed people were looking at me and that was kind of freaking me out and then See, as i turned what... my head to look into the like see where the water yeah. source was coming from I kind of blopped out of it because I was having to think the turn and I just lost everything yeah. and I popped out and I was like shit 
That's the worst thing about it, man. This is why it's. This is why it's so. I mean, it's hard to take information yeah. of you because the moment you think, you kick yourself out of yeah. it, and it's you only get a glimpse. It's like a screenshot, and good luck for the rest of it. Was it anything like that? Yes. 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 So, <laughs> did I show you the picture I drew? There was that one as well, like the. So this is a um, Brian Forrester who writes, who does the Hidden in Couture's, and he owns he owns the Eco Museum in, in I'm going to say that again. He owns the Eco Museum in Peru, where the uh, Eco schools are, and these are these massive elongated schools that are clearly nothing like uh, head binding. Um, but he genuinely, if you look at places like Paracas. Um, and, and some of the tombs and a lot of the um, what's it called the engravings and stuff it seems to be that like they venerated elongated head people who they said kind of looked Asiatic so when you talk about like uh, Quetzalcoatl and all of the you know the Popol Vuh and all of this kind of me uh, Mesoamerican god tradition it's very very heavily um connected to the elongated head stuff so it's weird that yeah you would have some kind of like um, out of body experience that would take you to like a weird South American place with elongated head people because <laughs> that was probably just you know you going back to 30,000 years ago or something yeah I was like they have like these so that's that would be the drawing I, I kind of that's all I could oh, that's kind of that, head. that is kind of weird yeah that's kind of, that's that's, that's what I weird. that's what I saw and like above I couldn't really make the image out when we do thing. stuff like this we're gonna have to like put up on a, on a website so that people can see what the fuck we're talking about because yeah. that is weird yeah that's really weird it was weird like that's why it freaked me out <laughs> like usually when you have like because I was fully conscious, that was the weird part. I wasn't like yeah. I was asleep, mm -hmm. and then I could hear the water, and that's what freaked me out as well. And I was like, "Oh shit!" So I looked to see where the water noise was coming from, and it woke me up because yeah. I couldn't tell if it was in the house or in wherever I was. And it yeah, it probably freaked me out. That did, and I was like, "Okay, that's." And it was bothering me. I had to draw it. I was like, "Right, I'll draw this," because it's driving me nuts. Like, where's this image come from? Weird. That is kind of weird. That that was a weird synchronicity. Actually. I, mean, I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just sat there, just meditating. I didn't want anything. Yeah. I just. This is what you have to do, really. You have to. You can't really. I mean, I know there are people who lead like guided meditations and things like that. But I think, I mean, personally, I've always thought that, that the best thing is to just try and just have the experience and try not to lead it as in any kind of way or shape. Don't expect it, anything. Yeah, exactly. Because you're more likely then not to try and. I mean like it's quite easy to derail and influence trips and stuff by getting into bad trains of thought and you know allowing yourself to try and lead a trip in a certain situation so it's the same with meditation it's you know if you try and lead it unless you're quite high level unless you kind of you've already been in that realm for trips. I mean yeah well I mean this is what shamanism was all about it, you know it was it was all about the idea of take the one guy who seems to be the most what we would call today schizophrenic but what they would call spiritual <laughs> go and put him out in a little hut at the edge of the village and just let him like do his shit and like let him go in and out of all of these realities and train himself to the point where 
you know, you can he can take a trip and literally remember and recall the whole thing and bring might, back all of the information. I might become the, the town's uh, shaman. I might get a shed and just live outside yeah, of town. I, I, to be honest, you probably wouldn't be the first person in this town to be living on a shed in the outside of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be serious. Oh, get man. turf wars with all the shamans. <laughs> no, you get stabbed by a fucking wino is what happens. By a method. Hey, shall we call it there? Yeah, stabbed by a method in which words, that's a good one.